JMV here with Brian Kahn from Floors to Your Home. Fans, if you're shopping for flooring of any kind, you need to check these guys out. You're going to have the most incredible, totally hassle-free shopping experience ever. JMV, we really appreciate you saying that. That's our goal every day, to offer our customers a quick, easy, and hassle-free experience at all of our Floors to Your Home locations. Fans, it works like this. You see the product you like. It's going to be cheaper than anywhere else. That's for sure. Then you can immediately take it home with you or have it installed. That's right. No hassle, no special order. Just see it, buy it, and take it home, or have it installed. Like three rooms of hardwood, laminate, or waterproof flooring starting at just 349 and they have everything in stock. I'm doing my whole house, and believe me, this is the best shopping experience you'll ever have. Three convenient locations, Avon, Noblesville, and Brookville Road. Who gives the quickest, easiest, and most hassle-free buying experience? Floors to your home. That's who. What in the hell do you think you are doing? Hey, John Boy. I'm telling you straight, it's my way or the highway. So anybody wants to walk, do it now. Hey, everybody, we're all going to get late. And again, it's picked up. It's Darius Leonard. A pick six for the Maniac. Touchdown, I-N-D-Y. Yes, sir. Yeah. Oh, oh, the chicken. Double time. Miles Turner. Yeah. John, I have never been better to be on the air with you here in Indianapolis, a place where so many of my dreams have come true. The Ride with JMV on 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. Hey, welcome in today, and what a fantastic afternoon this is. I will say this, that wherever you're going, and I mean anywhere around Indianapolis, more than likely it is going to be a slow-moving slog. So uh, we greet each other at... A really good moment. You can hang for about three hours because, sincerely, that may end up being your commute this evening. Um, and you can hang right here with us because I have a lot for you. Live at Victory Field, this is night number one of the Boys Baseball State Championships. Ileana Christian and Covenant Christian get going, I think, today around 5.30. They are watering the field right now as I speak. In fact, we are on the club level. If you guys are watching via the lounge at YouTube, live we're on the club level right now um and that's where we're going to be broadcasting from i think until a little bit after six we'll have a little extra time later on tonight but i mentioned iliana christian and covenant christian at 5 30 the nightcap tonight will feature silver creek and multi-champion and duran this evening and then back at you tomorrow afternoon and tomorrow evening you've got a good one with lafayette central catholic and ball reeve and the first one and the four a night Nightcap tomorrow night features Cinegrove and Penn. In fact, Penn is going after because a week ago in Lafayette, their girls won the softball state crown. They're going after the baseball state crown against Cinegrove coming up later on. I checked that coming up tomorrow evening at 8 o'clock. And we'll talk about that at length throughout the course of the afternoon. Of course, normally this is a slow time of year with the exception of the end of the NBA season. And then all of a sudden, as we now work inside a week to go until the NBA draft, you start hearing about nuggets of information. And I will tell you this, 
this information most of the time is put out there with a reason. And it's put out there with a reason for those in the NBA, those executives that, in fact, they want their message out there. You know, they want to see what they can do with their particular message. They want something to get out there. Maybe it's not altogether true because there's a lot of sandbagging going on. I mean, we talk about this all the time in terms of what happens during the NFL draft. You know, especially this time, right before, a week before the NFL draft, it is absolutely crazy with a lot of stuff. And as I say all the time, we end up talking about it all, and then about 90% or so of it ends up coming out or turning out to be accurate. So we'll see. But the latest we'll get into with Evan Sider, he's going to join us, I think, pretty close to the top of the show here. Uh, The latest is from Brian Windhorse. And I don't know if you guys have read this. I don't know how much has been talked about. But evidently, according to Brian Winhorst of ESPN.com and ESPN covering the NBA, that the Pacers want to try to wiggle free from number seven and want to go after an already established wing and feel that they have the ammunition to do so. Now, again, I'll play it from the angle in which I have described I didn't think, to me, I thought that they were going to go ahead and factor in at number seven, but at the same time, maybe do something like what was reported earlier today. But if they're looking to unload number seven in a way in which, I don't know, you move back in round number one, you utilize some of those other selections you have coming up in the draft next week, and then go after. And again, it was mentioned because they had serious interest in OG and Anobi of the Raptors. Remember this before the trade deadline. Uh, they didn't say that. They just said they had interest and in-depth conversations with some. And basically, it was the NBA world, including us here, that suggested it was about Ananobi. And remember, we have talked about how the Raptors are a team out there right now looking to rebuild. They've got a new coach. They've moved on from Nick Nurse. Uh, for goodness sake, Pascal Siakam. Arguably their best player, certainly their top scorer, has been mentioned with a possibility of maybe being added to Portland. If Damian Lillard stays, if they want to try to win one for Lillard out there and go with what they have. I mean, again, we got a myriad of all these these particular uh, rumors that are out there, but the interest in Adenobi has been clear and has been clear certainly for a while. So that is something we will follow. You have seen some DeAndre Hunter rumors that have been floating around as well. But again, that latest from Brian Winhorst, and we'll talk to Evan Sidery about that. And then all the availability that we're hearing about right now, too. We'll talk to Evan about that coming up in just a little bit regarding whether or not he believes that is a good thing, whether or not the Pacers trading out at number seven may end up going a little bit further back in round number one, or if they just, you know, end up trading out in general to go for a more established player. And that is the type of path I had hoped they would take. Now, others would disagree with me vehemently. Others suggest that you need to go with what the plan was at the offseason of a year ago. You know, a lot of people describe that as blowing the team up, resetting the team, rebooting the team, whatever. 
And then obviously you go through a season where you hit some some uh, roots of excitability with this team. You know, even with pressing that reset button as they did. But for me, I don't mind at all if they were able to take that chance. I wouldn't mind at all if they went for an established wing to add to this particular group to see what they have. And again, this all could be a bunch of BS because this time of year, 90% of it is BS. But it would fall in line with a number of things. And one is how this team, this group right now, wants to win. This group right now wants to see where they are in the hierarchy of the Eastern Conference and believe in themselves if they're able to add players. In this case, if Winhorse is accurate, going with an already established type of wing player that truly this team needs. No doubt about that. And we've gone over the garden variety of needs for this team. You know, regardless of the wing, you want to look for somebody that can play a little bit of defense. But also, the onus of being able to play defense is on the current team. And that's what I hold, I think, in question more than anything else. Are the guys on that team, besides the usual suspects that are known as defensive players, can the guys raise the bar defensively within themselves? Because it's one thing to go after somebody that has a defensive reputation or a defensive prowess, but they also need it with guys that are going to grow and guys that are going to be the future of this team. But certainly defense is a part of that. And the other aspect is a part of that is rebounding. Uh, rebounding seemingly for a while, um, you know, with the obviously Miles, uh, Miles upped his rebounding average this year, but prior to Miles is all, all about Sabonis. So another rebounder is certainly a need for this team. So we'll talk about that. We got a lot more going on. John Morant news, 25 games to open up the season in 23 and 24 for the gun-related situations. That was his punishment from the NBA, which was reported a little bit earlier today. We got that. I mentioned the baseball here at Victory Field. You got some NFL news we'll dive into coming up a little bit later on, and some Major League Baseball as well. The U.S. Open at the L.A. Country Club is ongoing right now. You had Mexico and Team USA last night in soccer. Uh, We'll get to that coming up in a little bit later on, too. We got a loaded show, by the way. Hashtag Ask Pat. Hashtag Ask Pat with Pat Sullivan going to join us here It is a Father's Day weekend, so we are going to go with the Yeti prize package. It is a Yeti prize package. Hashtag Ask Pat for the questions via Twitter with Pat Sullivan, who joins us coming up at the bottom of the hour. So we have Pat Sullivan coming up. We have Mike Wells coming up at the 4 o'clock hour. Jeremy Chin of the Carolina Panthers, the former Fisher standout, is going to join us a little bit later on. Bobby Marks, who is the general managing office NBA-wise guru for ESPN. He's the front office expert who's going to talk about what will work, what could very well work for the Pacers. Bobby joins us coming up at the 5 o'clock hour. Paul Neidig, the commissioner of the IHSAA, is going to be here as well and a whole lot more. Meantime, via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline for basketball news, he's going to help sort it out, kind of set the stage for us on this, informationally speaking, NBA-wise interesting afternoon. Evan Sidery joins us. Good afternoon, Evan. How you doing? 
Doing great, John. How about yourself? Well, it, it was made more interesting, I think, a little bit earlier this afternoon with Brian Windhorst dropping that nugget as far as the Pacers trying to wiggle free from number seven. I set this up, Evan, and I'll let you play off of it as about 90% of all these rumors we hear prior to any draft, whether we're talking about the NBA or the NFL, turns out to be just a waste of breath, nothing but hot air. So where does this particular rumor fall in how Brian Windhorst talked about it and how you look at the availability of wings out there in which the Pacers would like to go ahead and get somebody that's already produced at the NBA level in which the Pacers may be hard targeting. Yeah, just to set the stage real quick for you, for those that haven't known, like Brian Windhorst said earlier today, they're looking for a high-level wing player. And when you think about who fits the criteria of a high-level wing player, I come back to one I mentioned often on the show with you, John, and one I know the Pacers have had heavy interest in. Uh, I had a trade deadline also last year, and that's OG Ananobi. I, I think number seven overall just for OG Ananobi straight up would be too much to pay. But let's say, hypothetically speaking, you can get OG plus the 13th pick in the draft, and then you say let's trade the 7th and the 26th and the 29th pick, for example. Trade your late first-round picks, trade seven. You still get a lottery pick at 13, and you get a starting caliber, high-level wing talent, in my opinion, in OG Ananobi. And I'm trying to think of other wings that could maybe fit that criteria, but I doubt Brandon Ingram, for example, New Orleans makes sense for the seventh pick. I think he's definitely going to stay in New Orleans unless they get the number two overall pick or something along those lines. So we really try to think of the criteria that Windhorse is mentioning. And when Windhorse puts stuff out, I very much take it seriously. And I think, honestly, I keep coming back to one name, and that's OG Ananobi. And I think there's actually a good package to get around here for both sides, for Indiana and Toronto, if they want to move back. The, the question is for Indiana, how far are you willing to move back? Is 13, for example, too far if you don't like a guy in that range? So Evan Sider of Basketball News joins us via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. I want to get back to something you just mentioned, too, you know, in, in saying that for Ananobi, for the number seven, is, is too steep. So you believe, as I had stated as well, that there's an opportunity for the Pacers here to trade off seven, get Ananobi, and, and trade these, these other assets they have, certainly um, later on in the draft, and then also obtain number 13. So you could get at the end of, of the NBA draft lottery and also acquire OG Ananobi that that is something that you think at least if it is reportedly on the table something could be done yeah I think so I think that's something that makes sense for both sides especially if the Pacers feel like a player in that 13 range will fall to them two guys that came in for private workouts or excuse me one was a group workout was Leonard Miller of G League Ignite he was Scoot Henderson's teammate he's been projected in that late lottery mid first round range he fits the four spot too he makes a lot of sense that they do want to trade back from 7 to 13 he's in a tier below I would say a Jarris Walker and a Taylor Hendricks but he certainly plays the same position has great athleticism and great defense potential too and then one player, if you're hypothetically speaking, let's say, John, I know you really value Buddy Heal. I know the Pacers value Buddy Heal for his shooting, too. But let's say if, if it's required in that deal, you trade seven and those late first-round picks plus Buddy Heald to Toronto for OG Ananobi plus the 13th pick. They just, they just brought in Grady Dick yesterday from Kansas. And I, I know he didn't really make sense in the team with Buddy Heald here. But if he's there at 13, for example, you kind of can plug and play Grady Dick to be your new Buddy Heald kind of player, and you add OG Ananobi on top of that. So those are kind of two guys I'd look out for if they're going to trade back and do something like that. It's, uh, Evan Sidery joins us. Uh, well, there's some similarities to, and I know not a lot of Pacer fans want to double back to that, knowing what you know right now regarding Kawhi Leonard, but might this be a situation where you find out maybe coming up next uh, Thursday night or something the Pacers are drafting? 
for the Raptors at number seven overall? Is, is that a kind of a scenario that you you could foresee going down here if, again, any of these rumors might be true? I think that's certainly a possibility. And with the Raptors hiring Darko Narjakovic, who's the new head coach, he was the assistant with Memphis, assistant before in Phoenix. He's known for player development. So I think that kind of signals to me they're probably going to rebuild here. And if Fred Van Vliet leaves in free agency, I think OG and Anobi can probably bring back the best they want to if they want to reset a little bit. I know Dallas makes some sense for him at the 10th overall pick. Potentially that can make some sense for both sides. Sacramento has been registered as having an interest. Same with Memphis. So I think it'd be more than just Indiana vying for OG Ananobia. And that's why I think the seventh overall pick could be what's needed to make it happen because Dallas sounds like they're very interested in OG Ananobia and might be willing to go up that 10 pick in the draft. So if they want to beat out different teams' offers for OG Ananobia, which it seems like the Raptors are more than willing to listen to, I think it's going to have to be something around that seventh overall pick. That's a really risky move, though, just because OG Ananobia is a great fit here. We know how great of a shooter he is and a great defender he'd be next to Tyrese Halliburton and Benedict Matherin. But he's on a one-year deal. You have to convince him to stay long-term. If for some reason he just says, you know what, I think I could go somewhere else next year that could be looking like a disaster later on so i think the only way i'd accept this sort of deal around og and anobi is to know ahead of time hey og is willing to sign a long-term extension he's willing to do it this summer to make it happen so uh, if they were to do something like that and trade the pick for a veteran like og and anobi who does check all the boxes for what they're looking for i'd be thinking that they know he's probably going to be here long term if they do do that trade well, there's no way in the world you do it unless you do know, right? Unless you have kind of a wink and nod type of deal moving forward where you know. I mean, there's no there's no way in the world. It's not like, you know, the Pacers aren't in a position to make, you know, a I, I, what I believe is a major move. I think what it should be is just a, a significant step forward, but not a major move. I mean, if you roll the dice like that, then then you believe you, you're going for, you know, everything or bust right here. And that's certainly not the situation the Pacers are close to. No, and I think it might be because Kevin Pritchard did mention this at his uh, end of my press conference was they were getting aggressive. They were offering a lot of their draft capital in certain trades. And I believe Zach Lowe mentioned uh, around the deadline back in February that OG Ananobi was their target for all those first round picks they offered. So if they were to, let's say, revisit that now, do you think the seventh overall pick, do you believe a Jairus Walker or a Taylor Hendricks is worth passing on? for OG and Anobi because it seems like a guarantee at this point, unless something crazy happens on draft night, one of those two fours will be there at number seven overall. So it's really just a, a question internally from Rick Carlisle and Kevin Pritchard and everyone else. Is the Jairus Walker or Taylor Hendricks worth it? Or should we drop back, get OG and Anobi? And at, at that point, like you mentioned, John, you'd have OG and Anobi, Tyrese Halliburton, Benedict Mather, and probably takes a big step next year as well, and Miles Turner. That's a legitimate starting for it there. And if you can keep around a piece like a Buddy Heald for your bench, or if you can keep around some of these young guys at the Dalton in this draft class, I think they're in a very good spot here to make a big jump next year. And that'd be kind of signifying to me if they make a move like this for OG and Anobi, that they're eyeing 45, 50-plus wins next year. It's uh, Evan Sider of Basketball News uh, talking up some of these rumors we're getting now under a week to go before the NBA draft. And this one involving the Pacers. Uh, Evan's with us via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. So, I mean, what do you think about this overall? I mean, even beyond the risk, which I, I wouldn't have to think they were going to take much risk in this. I think more of the risk is that you know, if the seventh overall selection turns into Kawhi Leonard and we have to put up with that for like uh, 12 years and that particular conversation, you know, knowing what you know after they traded for George Hill at the moment, it made all the sense in the world and now you look back on it even though that they didn't want Kawhi Leonard and had no interest you're always going to be tagged with that so is this risk versus reward you think something 
that the Pacers should ultimately be doing here, or should you stick to more of what a lot of people describe it, Evan, as being sticking to the plan? Yeah, it's a really, really tough question because I think a lot of it comes down to internally how they view Tyrese Halliburton and Benedict Mather, more so Tyrese Halliburton, where we saw it last year. We've seen flashes throughout his career so far in Indiana that he is a superstar level point guard. If he believes to take another step forward next year, be a top 25 type player in the NBA next year, this team's ready to go. I think that development curve for this team's probably been accelerated because of the greatness of Tyrese Halliburton that he's shown this year, taking that all-star leap already in his career, being a 20, 20 and 10 player on 40% three-point first player in NBA history to ever accomplish that, which I think says a lot about the offensive upside of Tyrese Halliburton, too. And if you throw in an OG and an OB into the mix here, like I mentioned, that just signifies to me they think they're a top five, top six team in the Eastern Conference next year, and it's a bet on Tyrese Halliburton. But like you mentioned, Jairus Walker, for example, has the exact same dimensions as OG and an OB, six foot seven, seven foot two wingspan, developing offensive game. He could be an OG and an OB type of player three or four years from now. The question is, are you willing to wait three or four years for some of these guys? I think that's the big question now. We're kind of currently debating it. Is this patient ready to go? And if, if they do do a move like that, they certainly think so. And I do think OG and Anobi is a fantastic fit. I just think it's more so, would you rather roll the dice on a younger guy and then pay, let's say, $25 plus million for OG and Anobi over the next four or five years on a new contract? Well, I, I mean, what that would tell us, you know, if, if again, true, if they decided to, to make that jump, it tells us that they, you know, they bought into what, um, you know, a lot of us maybe thought, was going down in December. They they buy into, you know, that winning, that consistency at that moment, and they buy into this team being well in front of what they had thought going into last year, right? That's the way you have to view it? Yeah, I certainly so. And I think the, the front office has mentioned this multiple times on the record that they always go back to that December stretch where they kind of went downhill a little bit when Tyrese Halliburton went out of the lineup. They won one one game in a game stretch and really kind of ended their hopes for any sort of play in or postseason hopes there. And they still were competitive when Tyrese Halliburton returned to the lineup there. If you take that stretch out, this team is around a six or seven seed already without adding in another big piece like an OG and an OB, for example. So if they think one more piece like that and maybe a couple moves on the margins for agency, because the Pacers are going to have a lot of cap space still. If they were to trade off a buddy heel, for example, and a deal for an OG and an OB, they'll still have 30-plus million dollars in cap space and free agency. So they could go out and make a couple win-now moves, too, on top of getting a guy like OG Ananobi. That would signify to me that they they truly do believe they're ready to go. And I would not be surprised by that because if they believe Benedict Mather can make a big jump as well in his second year, he averaged 20 points per game in the 35 games he got 30-plus minutes per game last year. So you have two 20-plus point scores that are super young in Tyrese Halliburton and Benedict Mather. And you had an elite defensive wing in OG Ananobi, for example, and you have Miles Turner on top of that. I mean, if you look around the Eastern Conference, John, that's actually legitimately, I would say, a very good, well-balanced sport to go up against a lot of the top teams in the East. So Evan Sidery of Basketball News with us, talking up some possibilities again. We are now under a week shy for the NBA draft coming up next Thursday night. He's with us via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. What other nuggets, rumors-wise, are floating around out there that you've heard and thought about and think are interesting maybe more so than any other? Yeah, I mean, Bradley Beal, it seems like now the Washington Wizards are going to fully trace that rebuild. I'd be very surprised that Kyle Kuzma is back in Washington. He's going to be a free agent. Chris Porzingis could be traded in an opt-in and trade scenario this summer. But Bradley Beal, as Sean Sharania mentioned a couple days ago, they are openly shopping Bradley Beal. Bradley Beal is cooperating because he has a full no-trade clause. It sounds like it's down 
four teams here. It's going to be either the Miami Heat or the heavy favorite, the Milwaukee Bucks, and in the Sacramento Kings and the New York Knicks. One of those four teams are all linked to Bradley Beal. I think he ends up in Miami. I think it just makes too much sense there to out there. You can trade Tyler Hero in that deal as well and their first round pick number 18 overall. Something like that I think it get done here in the next couple of days beyond. It sounds like from everything, indications the Wizards have put out there, they're ready to press the reset button and kind of let everyone go here. Yeah, no doubt about that. Uh, what would I know that you had covered for so many years the Suns? What are the things of interest going on out west? And I, I guess you need to comment on John Morant's 25 game suspension and uh, what that does to the Memphis Grizzlies for those first 25 coming up next season. Yeah, with Memphis, I mean, I was honestly surprised it was only 25 games. Full time, I've kind of been by the 40 plus game. Adam Silver to step precedent, set an example that. But John Moran, he's a superstar player. He's a top 10 player. I think on both sides of the argument for how long the suspension was, like 25, a fair penalty for what John Moran did. They'll probably get off to a slow start next year, but once John Moran is back in that lineup and they get that chemistry back, I think they'll be back to a top three team in the Western Conference. They've been a top two seed in the West the last two years. So I'm not really worried about Memphis. They have a lot of flexibility, a lot of cap space, too, so they're talking very aggressive this offseason. But then with Phoenix, I'm very intrigued by what they do with DeAndre Ayton because, like we mentioned before, John, I mean, the Pacers are so lucky that Ayton did not or the Suns did not accept that offer sheet or decline offer sheet, excuse me, for DeAndre Ayton. And now the Pacers are subbed all this flexibility because the Suns decided to match that offer sheet. And now the Suns are in a, in a really big predicament here with Chris Paul and with DeAndre Ayton, what effect they're going to do with either of those guys. I ultimately think they're going to trade DeAndre Ayton on draft night for maybe some draft capital, maybe a couple of young pieces that could help out their depth. Chris Paul, I think, will probably return, but that's still up in the air as well because the way they built that team, trading all their future away for Kevin Durant, 36 years old next year. You have like a two or three year window here with Devin Booker and with Kevin Durant to make things work. If you don't get tired of all of this, that could be a disastrous move for Phoenix. So they're probably scrambling behind the scenes there to try to make this roster work because it's going to be a crunch there. So, Evan Sidery, one final thing, too, getting back to the Pacers. There was a rumor floating around yesterday regarding um, DeAndre Hunter in Atlanta. Uh, any legs to that in your estimation? I think so. I, I certainly think OG Ananobi and DeAndre Hunter are, are actually in a similar tier of player. I would certainly say OG Ananobi more re- well-rounded player. I think DeAndre Hunter is more of a project type, would be more of a role player. They can give you about 14 to 15, 16 points per game. Support as well. He would certainly be the fourth best player or fifth best player on the team down the road. But I think, honestly, I would lean towards Ananobi, but I would not be surprised if DeAndre Hunter, for example, does make sense because Atlanta has a roster crunch, too. They have four guys making over $20 million per year next year. Trey Young's making almost $45 million per year next year. So they're going to be in a spot where they have to avoid the second apron and the luxury pack. So I would not be surprised if John Collins, Clint Capella, DeAndre Hunter, one of those guys gets traded. And just like OG Ananobi for Toronto, I think DeAndre Hunter probably gets the best value in return. And like Jake Fisher uh, uh, mentioned yesterday in a story on Yahoo, it was around Chris Duarte and picks. I think something like that does make sense for Indiana. If you were to get DeAndre Hunter, keep that seventh pick in the draft, maybe get a Jairus Walker or Taylor Hendricks, but then and then you also get DeAndre Hunter on top of that, maybe that is the better case scenario for this team where you can still keep the seventh overall pick, get 
DeAndre Hunter take a flyer down on his contract. If he works out, it's great. If not, you're not really in the in the and it's really that bad off, for example, if he were to get DeAndre Hunter, because he's a better overall fit for this roster now than a player like Chris Duarte. So I think either way, they're in a good spot. I actually like Hunter and OG and Anobi Spitz a lot here. So I would definitely keep an eye on DeAndre Hunter, too, as an option. It's Evan Sider with Basketball News. Evan, I appreciate you hopping on here really quick, and I'm sure we're going to utilize you next week because I, I bet the rumors are going to be coming fast and furiously around here. Have a great weekend. We'll see what happens, and we'll talk next week. Absolutely, John. Appreciate it. Evan Sidery of Basketball News right there. Yeah, the story regarding the Pacers, uh, according to uh, Brian Windhorst wanting to wiggle free of the number seven overall and what that could mean, what wing player that they would be targeting with that. And obviously all fingers pointing to OG Ananobi. Uh, we're live at Victory Field today. The 56th annual baseball state finals get underway. Two games today, two games tomorrow. Uh, you can get on YouTube Live inside the lounge, and instead of my incredibly handsome, chiseled features, you get to see the field and the work that they're doing. It is a great backdrop, probably the best you've ever seen uh, involving any of our shows if you watch via YouTube Live. But the one thing you may notice on the screen, look into right field and I can never get past this particular legendary hit but it is still incredible to me to try to understand that once upon a time when Adam Dunn before he went to the majors played here Adam Dunn hit a home run out on to West Street remember Adam Dunn of the Reds home run that landed on West Street and if you're watching via YouTube Live or you just know Victory Field in general and the dimensions here, that is a tremendous launch right there, to say the least. First thing I thought of when I sat down here at club level for Victory Field is that particular home run shot. All right, quick break, and we shall return. Hashtag Ask Pat on the other side. Somebody's going to win a Father's Day gift of Yeti. For us, reading your question, get your questions in. Landscaping, barbecuing, smoking incredible meats. Pat Sullivan will talk coleslaw, picnics, outdoor barbecues, whatever you do outside this time of year. If you got a question, gardening, hashtag Ask Pat. James going to pick a winner, and that winner is going to win some fantastic Yeti merchandise from Sullivan Hardware and Garden. Pat Sullivan on the other side. Jeremy Chin, uh, the former Fisher standout, currently plays defense in that secondary of the Carolina Panthers. He joins us in the 4 o'clock hour. Mike Wells still to come. The front office expert of ESPN.com for NBA, Bobby Marks in the 5 o'clock hour. That and a whole lot more. We're live from Victory Field it is the state baseball finals. Two games today, two games tomorrow. We're here for you, and the coverage is here for you as well. Inside the lounge via YouTube Live, the stream, the app, HD Radio, and 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. The Ride with JMV. If somebody gets in your face and calls you a I want you to be nice. 
93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. Hey, welcome back to Victory Field. This is our location on a Friday, which is glorious, by the way. Round number two of the U.S. Open from the L.A. Country Club going on right now. Wyndham Clark atop that leaderboard. He is at eight under par. He is through 15 on the day, two under. Ricky Fowler and Xander Shoffley tied for the top spot right now at eight under par. Uh, both Fowler and Shoffley have yet to tee off. Both have uh, uh, in the neighborhood of 432 and 454 tee times. Again, round two of the U.S. Open going on, and we shall keep you updated. We also have two games today, Ileana Christian and Covenant Christian. Game one coming at you about 530. And then game two, Silver Creek. The matchup with uh, Andrean that seemingly wins every year. That would be the two games tonight in the baseball state finals. Tomorrow will feature Bar Reeve and a matchup with Lafayette Central Catholic and the nightcap 4A, which should be fantastic. It is Penn and Cinegrove. If you missed AJ's app on the show yesterday because it's a common Father's Day thread, once upon a time, he was here trying to get it done in the state finals didn't his son evan gets the chance to make up for that coming up tomorrow and what was a really nice father's day story on the show yesterday with a podcast at 1075thefan.com also father's day in mind here hashtag ask pat we have a yeti prize package we are giving away just for father's day and pat sullivan joins us there's no way in the world with how green and lush we see down there at Victory Field, you're going to find any weeds or anything. You don't have any issues with any of this, do you? No, I do not. The turf looks absolutely beautiful. And the reason, you know, a lot of times when we go out and I, mm-hmm. I, I make a little fun of, you know, homeowners and stuff, but you never, ever, ever want to do that to a greenskeeper because that you'd break them into tears. Will they start crying out here? Oh, yeah. I mean, they work so hard on this thing. I mean, it uh, is absolutely beautiful. I just like the way they water. They have, It takes them like five and six dudes to water because yeah. you got to hold the hose. Yeah, everybody's got to hold the hose. Yeah, it's crazy, but it's it is it's did, all part of baseball. The, are the uh, the hose holders? Does it go in terms of rank? Seniority is, like, is that what it is? Seniority. Like the, the lowest yeah. been there the the least amount of time. Yeah. So does that give you the middle of the hose or the end of the hose? How does that work? <laughs> You know, you just work your way up to the nozzle. Yeah. That's what you're doing. You're trying to get to the nozzle. Understand. Because you want to grab hold of the head of the nozzle. All right, Father's Day weekend. Sullivan Hardware and Garden's going to be hopping. Going to be packed. What are we talking about? Uh, we are talking about Slaw Fest. And if you're not bringing Dad to <laughs> Slaw Fest tomorrow, <laughs> tickets are already mm. exceeded. What? Last year's. It's, what do you find all these crazy. people? And you know what? I know... I'm sure that you were begging the ISHAA to get over here because you know that I could not bring slaw into the ballpark. You can't bring food in, right? No, I, so, I brought a bunch of stuff in here. I'm just making it up. Jim. I know you could have. So I would never. I'm not eating slaw. You know, I've never had a bite of slaw in my life. Yeah. Hey, Scotty J, you ever had slaw? Yeah, yeah. He, likes he loves slaw? it. He loves it. Look at him shaking Look at his him head. Shake his head. He's, no, just like is, me. We're brothers right here. Yeah. And that's why. Anti-slaw you, brothers. And that's why you guys are stuck in dead-end jobs. <laughs> Well done. (laughs) It's well done right there. All right. So besides Slaw Fest, which is sold out. Uh, no, it's not sold out. Not sold but out. But uh, the ticket sales are uh, ahead robust. of last year. They're robust. And being on Father's Day, we are going to buy Dad the first drink. Oh, really? With a ticket. See, you bring look, Dad. See, you, I mean, you got to get him in there with, coax him in with drinks. Seriously. 
Nobody wants got slaw. Great music. They do want music, slaw, John. You know, here's your alcohol, but you got to eat the slaw. Slaw enthusiasts from all over <laughs> the state, possibly the world, will be in Indianapolis tomorrow for Slaw Fest. And I will tell you that's a little unusual, and this just shows the personality of slaw people. I noticed we were selling a lot of single tickets. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> single, single dudes eat slaw. What I'm, huh? No, what I'm saying is it's a big pickup place. <laughs> Yeah, I'm sure it is. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Get in here some slaw fest. Dude, over by Bobby, Sla- uh, Bobby Flay's slaw, <laughs> it is a big pickup joint. Hey, by the way, I believe it was last week, right? You brought in the brisket? Yeah. Oh, my goodness. That was awesome. That was so well. Oh, was it good? That was great. That's what I had for lunch today. Yeah, it was yeah. great. And yeah. I know you guys do that at uh, Sully's. Yeah, that's done on uh, the, the brisket's done on a Traeger and all of our chicken, uh, which I was ordering uh, today. We were out of chicken. Uh, the big green egg. Yeah. And we are working on uh, the brisket smoke off. Uh, for some time in July. I've got a few dates, and we're trying to work with your schedule, with your people, to get you guys to come out and uh, for, for, it. for a great cause. I so. am for it. That is a Pat Sullivan. Hashtag Ask Pat for a Yeti prize package with your questions, beginning with Corbin, Pat. Is it too late to aerate and dethatch my lawn? Should I wait until fall? You should wait until fall. And normally a healthy lawn that is uh, used core aerification each year or every other year should never need to be thatched. Only time you'd thatch a lawn would be a lawn that had been uh, pretty much neglected. And then you would uh, you'd use the dethatcher, but core aerification in the fall, plant your seed in the fall. That's really the best time of year. Doesn't plant mean you seed. can't do it other times. It's just that that's the best. Hashtag Ask Pat from Jennifer. What's the best way to keep rabbits out of our garden? And have you heard of ducks laying eggs in flower pots? My dogs have found a few. No, that's Pat. interesting. But uh, ducks can pretty much do what they want. First of all, let's handle the bunnies. And man, I tell you what, I don't know that we've ever sold more bunny repellent really there is a bumper crop of bunnies so uh the best thing to do is to use depending on the situation if you're trying to do a perimeter treatment there is a granular product called uh uh critter ritter and if it's specific plants there's actually a liquid version of that does a pretty good job uh, as far as the duck goes. Yeah, you don't know anything about the ducks no, laying eggs in flower pots? Much, no. They just they get to do what they want. Yeah. They're pretty fortunate. Like, everybody holds them in high esteem. And then, you know, the Canadian geese, nobody even puts on the brakes anymore, do That's they? That's Canada geese. You don't want the English people after you. No. Oh, Canada geese? Yeah. It's not Canadian geese? No. Really? Yeah. I think Since that- when? Since the English people started after me, uh, Canada since ni- geese. 1994, when I went on the air, they started correcting my English. The uh, the ducks just do what they want. Yeah, they do. And, uh, you know, I think that just shows that Jennifer has some fine flower pots. It's a mess that be. the ducks want to take a, a dump an egg in there. From block by block, hashtag ask Pat, I've tried everything except dynamite, nuclear weapons, or yet-to-be-heard advice to rid ourselves of misnamed, quote, tree of heaven. Please help. Tree of heaven. Tree of heaven. Uh, What that is. It is a very invasive plant, uh, and the only way you're going to get rid of it is, uh, I mean, it's brush killer, and using brush killer in either full strength on a trunk after it's cut or spraying it, but that is... Those are some tough ones. It's from Mike right here. Hashtag Ask Pat. How do I tell if it's moss or mold? And then what's the best way to get rid of it? 
you know what? Moss, I would um, uh, Moss and lichens and mold kind of all follow, I think, a little bit in the same family. None of them are the ones that uh, a lot of times people think moss is killing my grass or moss. No, moss is just... Uh, in in shaded areas, and the moss grows there because it's an opportunity opportunity for a vacant spot, and it pulls up. So if you want to get rid of the moss, there's nothing wrong with moss. It is not, and when you see that on the on the north side of the tree, that is just lichens, the same thing. It's not hurting the tree. There is a, a spray that uh, Scotts makes that will take care of and get rid of it, but it's not really necessary unless it's uh, too slippery. Hashtag Ask Pat. Do you think Zion Williamson is an option? Who? Uh, <laughs> I'll answer that. No. No, he is not. Although you could have factored that in and I would put planting br- the seed. I would put brush cover on a little him. bit earlier. Yep. A little planting the seed, which uh, evidently has uh, transpired. Ooh. Um, all right, let's see here. Oh, look at James That's Adams is, is going to people right now, too, with the hashtag Ask Pat. The Yeti prize package is always really popular. Hey, speaking of popular, how popular besides Slawfest is Sullivan Hardware and Garden on a Father's Day weekend? Uh, you know what? Really busy. I could really see the uh, grill department was actually hopping today with uh, with people coming in, getting their uh, pops a, uh, a gift, whether it's a uh, – there's all kinds of cool things that uh, – I don't know what it is about grill. I mean, there's, uh, you know, the pizza ovens are real hot right now. Uh, so we're selling a lot of pizza ovens, a lot of grills, but really a lot of accessories, a lot of sauces, you know, picking up dad, a basket of uh, local sauces, GT South. Uh, uh, Can you make your own pizza oven if you wanted to? I guess you could. Just yeah. put, could you get some concrete and put some bricks together? Yeah, you'd have to know what you're doing to make sure, uh, you know, it, it would draw properly and it would, you know, smoke. Like, would like what would fire. you have to know? Yeah, I just couldn't go out there and no. stack some bricks on something and no, you have to build a fire underneath no. and that's not good enough? No, bricklayers, give a little credit to bricklayers. What they do they know, know that I don't? They know how to make a fire draw so that the smoke pulls up and doesn't come out the face. Of, like well, I make a hole in the top of it. Yeah, but what if what if the hole is coming out where you put the pizza in? What if it's not drawing and, and the smoke is well, firing out of your face? Well, if you put a hole on face? top, it's going to go up. No, it's not, it's not necessarily. Go to the side. That is not that is not true. Depending on how big your hole is, <laughs> I'm going to I'm going to maybe construct a pizza oven in my backyard. Could I just, just to prove you could wrong? Could I just find out uh, where you live and, and bring you like a little uh, a little uh, rock box pizza yes. oven? Yes. Why not? Okay, we can why, do that. Why not? Well, I'm still waiting on Scion's got to bring out some stuff. I got to get the big green egg going. Scion's supposed to come out it? sometime. I've got a cracked plate. Oh, cracked man. in half plate. You should go right to my. Uh, oh my! My, staff. my, my cover is shredded too because we you get some weather. Can't out trust there. A, you. Can't trust a salesperson. Come on, Scion. Where have you been? Here's the other thing I had. Hashtag Ask Pat from me. Why is it not cool to water plants in the sun? Uh, or is that BS? It, it's a little bit BS. That's uh, what I thought, because I did it anyway. You know who told yeah. me that? My mom. I went, no, 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 no. You know, they talk about Because I have plants now. Yeah, they talk Really? I have plants and flowers and trees and crap. You've hit that age. No, you know what? No, it, the, the sundown people came in. Oh, and, that's and it right. It looks awesome. Yeah. It looks awesome. And, and now I, I feel because they were so good at what they did, then I'm out there watering. And, and my mom said, well, you don't water in the sun. No, they, I, they, they talk about evaporation. Like if you water yeah. during the sun i mean but seriously how much evaporation are you really going to have secondly they say don't water at night don't water at night because it may cause fungus and mold well you know what how many times you wake up in the morning and there's dew, dew all over your shoes right well that's 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 moisture as well 
Is it causing uh, a fungus? Maybe it is, but you know what? We wa- we start watering uh, at Keystone at three in the morning. Do you really? Yeah. When the sprinklers go off. See, and my mom tried to tell me, and like she's she got flowers and gardens. But you know, I always like say. Or- that's what your mom says. She has raccoons. You know, too. mom. Yeah, I know she does. She's uh, a. <laughs> yeah. You know, how many people? How many people say? Uh, grandma says, put seed down on the last snow. First of all, I don't know when how grandma knows when the last snow no is. Doubt. But if that's what grandma says, that's what you do. Even though you're probably get a little more seed rot uh, than just waiting until March when the uh, t- temperature warms up. If if mom or grandma says it, you do it. Hashtag AskPad. Is a Traeger good for a casual slash weekend griller? Absolutely. Matter of fact, I would say uh, that, uh, you know what, uh, the guys from Traeger say, you know what the best accessory for a big green egg is, is a Traeger. Because sometimes if you don't want to take the time uh, to fire up the egg, you just turn on the Traeger. Now, I will tell you that big green egg is going to last, ultimately it's going to last longer than the Traeger. But the Traeger, convenience-wise, people love it. And you really need both, quite honestly. Is a hot dog better grilled or steamed? Grilled. Steam's pretty good, though, too, right? Uh, no? I, I I don't like steamed dogs. Yeah, okay. I, I would What's the best hot dog to grill? I mean, An all if it says hot dog. If it says Angus on it, do you go for that yes, one? Yes. Because they're like $6 a pack now, yeah, I think. Yeah. Do they make, let me ask you this, is it Wagyu? Or wa the the meat. Wagyu. Oh yeah, that's what is, wa, is yeah. it wagyu wa, or waga? Like wagyu, I've got wagyu. I've got. A couple is there a hot dog that is a wagyu hot dog? I'm sure there's going to be here pretty soon, right? Yeah. Just like there was Angus turned yeah. into an Angus hot dog. Yeah. What those things? Wagyu, are, wagyu, wagyu, wagyu. Huh? Wagyu is what it is. That's a good They'll question. Probably be fifty dollars a hot dog. I've got a cup. What what is the filet mignon? I have a couple of filets I'm going to make tonight. Right. Nice. Uh, thank you, Matthew and Maine, for sending that with some great seafood. Oh, nice. I'm going to make them tonight. What is the filet mignon of hot dogs, in your opinion? Get a name? Uh, no. I, I just always look for a 100 uh, percent all beef hot dog, a choice mm. dog. I go smoke sausage every time. Do you? I like turkey smoke sausage, too. Sometimes my wife picks up uh, some uh, sausage yeah. uh, over at the uh, fresh market that, that make me blush a little bit. Oh, really now? Yeah. Some good-sized dog, some sausages <laughs> over there. Sometimes I look, it's like and I, I, I unwrap them, I look at my wife, and I go, really? This is what I need today. This is what happens right here? Yeah. All right, you guys are open, and you guys are on the air tomorrow. Talk about yes, it. Yes, uh, we are on from 9 until 1. Mm-hmm. We will be at 71st and Keystone, Love the it. site of Slaw Fest. This is the only coleslaw festival in the country. The only thing that's even close to this is coleslaw wrestling during bike week in Daytona. That is the that truth. sounds fun right there. And you know what? Trust me. If you come to Slaw Fest, even if you say, I don't like coleslaw, I will make a believer. I mean, the entrees that we serve tomorrow yeah. on the grills, the Big Green Egg, the Traeger, I can make you into a slaw enthusiast. Yeah, if you put meat all around it and stuff one, and then get everybody drunk, of one course. One by one, we will save this country with coleslaw. <laughs> so Pat Sullivan of Sullivan Hardware and Garden, a Yeti prize package with hashtag AskPat is coming to somebody. My brother, have a great John, Father's great Day. Man, it's great to see you. Enjoy you hang the ballpark. Out. If you want to hang out for a while, hang out for a I while. i got to go right make here. slaw. got to go make slaw. Pat Sullivan, Sullivan Hardware and Garden. If you're watching via YouTube Live, you can see it. It is Victory Field, four state title games beginning at 5.30 today. We've got you covered not only here, but also on the fan. Still to come, Bobby Marks will be
ESPN, the front office expert, Jeremy Chin of the Carolina Panthers, and a lot more. 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. The Ride with JMV. And the beat goes on, yeah. And the beat goes on. 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. Hey, welcome back to Victory Field. The state baseball finals underway officially today at 530. Ileana Christian, by the way, here to defend their title. Ileana Christian's uniforms are pretty badass right there. They got a little green, actually a lot of green, and they got white belts out there. I dig the white belts. That is nice. Ileana Christian and Covenant Christian today at 530. And Duran and Silver Creek, the nightcap tonight at 8 o'clock. Ileana Christian was the champion in 2A a year ago and Duran the champion in 3A a year ago. Tomorrow afternoon at 430, Lafayette Central Catholic, which won it a year ago in class. Say Bar Reeve, Montgomery, Indiana. Shout out! Shout out to the Gastoff down in Montgomery, Indiana. Twenty-nine and three, Bar Reeve, and Lafayette Central Catholic at four thirty, and then the trend of defending champions being back here. Four A Penn won it a year ago, twenty-six and eight. They take on Center Grove at twenty-nine and three. That is at eight o'clock coming up tomorrow night. John Herrick's going to join us a little bit later on. We'll talk about that. He's going to be on the call of some of these games. I mentioned Jeremy Chin of the Carolina Panthers. He's back in town. He's got a camp coming up up in Fishers. Of course, he's a native of Fishers. He's going to join us at the bottom of the hour to talk about that and to talk about a new path for the Carolina Panthers at quarterback, Jeremy Chin, bottom of the hour, and Bobby Marks of ESPN, their front office expert regarding some of those NBA rumors as we close in on the NBA draft. And as Brian Windhorst has reported that the Pacers would like to shake loose of the number seven overall, and maybe OG Ananobi is a target. We'll double back to that in a second. Get a legend in front of me right now, the longtime voice of the Indians, uh, which, by the way, are on the road right now. Howard Kelman is here with us at Victory Field. How many years has it been? This is my 47th season, and I love it as much as I ever have. Absolutely incredible. 47? Yes, and by the way, I heard your interview with Bob Kravitz the other day. Uh-huh. It was outstanding. Both of you were terrific. Well, he's uh, he's a longtime friend of mine, and, you know, I you hate to see that happen, but uh, the floor is always open for him here. There's no doubt about that, and hopefully he finds a seat someplace else. You also mentioned this during the break, Howard. I brought up, when I sat down and I looked out to right field, I think about the legend of Adam Dunn hitting a home run that bounced onto West Street. You called that game. I heard you talking about that on the way in as I was driving in. That was in the 2001 AAA All-Star game. That's okay. And he hit two that night, and he almost hit a third. But that home run was such that it was so towering, I had the opportunity while doing the play-by-play to say it is soaring it is soaring it was majestic (laughs) absolutely incredible is that the longest home run you've ever seen here i think so yes yeah what um is that would that have been the longest home run that you had witnessed 
going back to Bush Stadium. We had one at Bush Stadium. It was 395, the dead center. There was a Mr. Dance right beyond yes. the center field wall. Yes. Roger Freed one day hit a ball to dead center. <laughs> they hit the Mr. Dance out there. So, Mr. Dance. And by the way, oh, man. they never kept track of that until Mickey Mantle started hitting home runs. The, the tape measure home run. They didn't really care about distance at all. But really? Mantle hit a ball. It was in 1953 batting right-handed in Washington off Chuck Stobbs. And they said it went 565 feet. The Yankee traveling secretary, Red Patterson, measured it. And from that point on, they have talked about distance in home runs. That's incredible. And Howard Kelman joins us. You're an absolute baseball encyclopedia. Run back. Thank you. Going back 47 years and maybe even prior to that, because certainly you were a a, a baseball fan uh, before you started calling the games. What are some of the best moments that you've ever either witnessed, called, whatever? I think the most exciting moment in the history of the franchise, and you were a teenager, so you may remember this, Game 7 of the 1986 American Association Championship Series. The Indians and Denver Zephyrs, three games apiece, bottom of the ninth, the seventh game, Rob Dibble pitching for Denver, which was Cincinnati, by the way. We were Montreal. And Billy Moore with a 2-2 count, lines a base hit to left field on a fastball. They should have thrown him a slider, but a fastball to left. The tying and winning runs scored. We labeled it. It was magic. You don't get any more dramatic than that. And then we won four straight championships. That was the first of four straight championships. So that was incredible. I'll tell you the one as a kid. And there's a footnote to it. Game three of the 1964 World Series. I'm 12 years old. I, this Saturday morning, I'm in the bleachers at Yankee Stadium. Game three, the Yankees and Cardinals, a game apiece. Mickey Mantle's leading off the bottom of the ninth against Barney Schultz, who was just brought in out of the bullpen. And we were saying, wouldn't it be something if he hit one? Mantle first pitched to him. Game winner off the facade, third deck. Gives the Yankees a two games to one lead. It broke Babe Ruth's record for most World Series homers, his 16th. And it was the greatest thrill I ever had. Fast forward, 13 years later, I'm broadcasting the Indianapolis Indians. We're in Wichita. I'm having lunch with our manager, Roy Matika, at the hotel restaurant. Who walks into that restaurant but Barney Schultz? And Barney comes over, and Roy says, Howard, this is Barney Schultz. He used to pitch for the Cardinals. I said, I'm well aware of that. He said, really? I said, Barney, in all the years I've watched baseball, you gave me the single greatest thrill I ever had. He got so excited he couldn't contain himself. So when was it? I said, game three of the 64 series, your first pitch to Mantle. He said, you no good, blankety blank, and we broke up laughing. Oh, it's Howard Kelman, the legend, is here, the – 47-year voice of the Indianapolis Indians on the road. Of course, he's got to call that coming up later on this evening as well. Um, I was thinking about, because you mentioned, you know, when when Denver was the uh, affiliate of the Reds back in 1986, and I I, I had some – some family members and a group that used to go and sit on the first base side um, of Bush Stadium and would heckle every game. They were just like a group that were known to heckle. And one of the strongest responses they ever got was from Rob Dibble. Rob Dibble 
Rob, they got Rob Dibble once so flustered that he was so at the top of the zone. It was like nuclear loose stuff here. <laughs> it was like Ricky Karcher the other night yes. for the Reds. I mean, he could not control it. He was so visibly upset. Um, give me some of those great memories of Bush Stadium because I think about that. I think about one time I was there and Dan Bellardello, the catcher, got mad at what was being said about him. He went up into the stands in a game. And then one time Deion Sanders, who was playing a triple-A game here at Bush Stadium, got kind of angry and went after some folks too. Are these memories that you have? I remember Deion Sanders, I think it was 1989 with Columbus. He was playing, Bucky Dent was the manager. Yes. So, uh, Neon Dion, Dion Primetime Sanders. Then he later played for the Reds, of course. Uh, and I believe are, his quote was, they were, they were talking to my female or something like that was his quote back then in 1989. But that is true. I mean, he got angered. It, it's just, it, it's interesting to go back to Bush Stadium. It's almost like at times it was no holds barred. It really was then. We were there from 1931 through, let's say, July 3rd of 96. Mm-hmm. And there were a lot of great memories, especially the decade of the 80s, because we won six championships. Larry Burden, the Celtics won three. Magic yeah. Johnson, the Lakers won five. We won six championships in the 1980s. So it was absolutely incredible. And four in a row. Uh, the 82 team was the first championship team since 1963. So it was so much fun. And there was an attitude among those championship teams. Look, these guys are trying to get to the big leagues. There's no doubt about it. However, they didn't talk about that. They just said, we're going to play this game the right way, and the big leagues will take care of themselves. And they did. And these guys got to the big leagues, like Hall of Famers, Larry Walker and Randy Johnson were on those teams. Yeah. So we had a lot of great players, too. Well, you went when the Indians were the AAA affiliate of the Expos. It was a who's who from Galarraga to Walker um, to Marquise Grissom. Yes. Um, I I think Tim Raines was prior to to that. I think Wallach was prior to that. But, I mean, you had all these ex- – Delano DeShields was yes. another one. You mentioned Randy Johnson. Um, I'm trying to think. Was Pedro Martinez here? No. He no, was they got here. him in a trade, actually, yeah. the Expos did, for Delano DeShields. Yeah, okay. So, But it was – what was the more amazing – was it that with the Expos, with the talent that was in and out, that with the Reds that you remember, certainly with the Pirates right now? What was some of the more amazing levels of talent you've witnessed here? Well, the Reds, when I first got here, were the parent team in the mid-'70s. And I got a story about the exhibition yeah. game. By, when the Reds – and you probably remember the Reds coming in here for the annual exhibition. Right. Game in this, and Pete Rose, Johnny Bench, Joe Morgan. It was so special. And they played. Yeah. They oh, yeah. played. Pete took two yeah. or three plate appearances. The other regulars had one plate appearance. But Pete would go head first. Anyway, my first year, uh, Vern Rapp is our manager, and I'm having lunch with him the first weekend of the season. And he said, the only time you're going to see Max Schumacher, who is president and GM, really nervous is if it's raining the day of the Reds game. Because that game meant the difference between in the 70s being five or ten thousand dollars in the black or a hundred thousand dollars in the red if the game got rained out we would only get five thousand dollars from the reds and the game would not be replayed so we had to play that game sure enough june 20th 1974 it's an overcast day with a forecast of rain well and everybody's a little nervous it poured five blocks from Bush Stadium, but it did not rain. Just a little mist. The Indians won the game. Johnny Bench hit a home run. 
Max Schumacher said afterward, that made up for all the bad luck I've ever had in my life. <laughs> and the other footnote with Bench hitting the homer, I was in the Indians clubhouse after the game, and Sonny Roberto was our catcher. Sonny said to me, what did you think of Johnny Bench hitting the home run? I said, I thought it was great. The fans come to see it. Everybody likes it. He said, I think the same thing. I think everybody was happy except Pat Zachary, who was the pitcher. Yeah. And what Pat doesn't know is that I told Johnny a fastball was coming. Nice. And I let him know. That's nice. It's Howard Kelman here. You saw almost all, not all, but almost all the big red machine guys here. Yes. Right? We had in the 75 and 76 world champions, we had about 13 of them. We missed Bench by one year. And you missed Morgan because Morgan missed not come trade. through. Yeah, a trade. Trade, yeah. Pete Rose never played AAA baseball. He went from A ball to the big leagues. Wow. Yeah, what happened was in the spring of 1963, nobody knew who Pete was, and they were playing an exhibition game against the Yankees, and he drew a walk. And you remember Pete would run to first base when he drew a walk? Well, he runs to first base, and everybody's, what's this? Whitey Ford, the Yankees pitcher, yells out of the dugout, where'd you guys get that Charlie Hustle? And that's how the nickname Charlie Hustle really? was Really? That was on. there right there? Yes. Charlie Hustle started here? Well, no. Or, or, no, I'm it sorry. It was a spring training spring game. Spring training game. And that's okay. how the nickname, Whitey Ford pinned the nickname Charlie that's Hustle awesome. on me. Where'd you get that Charlie Hustle? And Pete was rookie of the year that year. And again, he came out of A ball. Bench was a big prospect. But Bench played triple A ball in Buffalo in 1967, the year before Indianapolis and Cincinnati started working together. It's uh, Howard Kelman who is with us. And you know, we get the baseball state finals games. Start here today with Ileana Christian and Covenant Christian coming up at 530. Of course, Howard, uh, 47 years as the voice of the Indianapolis Indians. You know, oftentimes um, we'll get excited for baseball when there's a rehab assignment from somebody from the big leagues on a different team. Um, what's the most excited you've ever seen a crowd with a player with the opposition from the big leagues doing a rehab assignment here? It's an easy question because one stands out above all the others. It was Nomar Garciaparo with the Red Sox. I believe it was 2001. It was around there. And he rehabbed, and he was playing. Some guys go through the motions when they rehab JMV. But he was playing, and he was hitting. And I think we sold out Victory Field like three or four nights. And he got better and better each of the four games in the series. So there was no question that that's the one that stands out. Among. Most of them don't stand out. Yeah. But sometimes guys are going through the motions. They're just trying to get ready. But he gave it everything he had. It's, um, it's amazing when you think about that, too, because oftentimes, those are some of the biggest crowds of the season when you get that one guy that's on a rehab stint. You know, for example, like Votto, I think, has been playing with, with the bats down there, too, and that gives gives folks, I'm sure, some big crowds to go see him. He was rehabbing earlier in the year when the Indians played in Louisville, and he was really struggling to the point where they stopped the rehab assignment. Now they've restarted it again. I'm a big uh, Reds fan, as you know, and we see a lot of that young talent. Any of that young talent that's up in the bigs right now, did you see, did you call games with Louisville? Well, unfortunately, when we played Louisville early this year, Ellie De La Cruz was hurt. Yeah. So I didn't get to see him. But we've seen some other guys, and, uh, geez, they have some talent. It's terrific to see what they've accomplished. What, it's really good. The team that you're uh, calling, what's it look like so far? How's the season been for you guys? The Indians game? are six games below 500. We reached 500 uh, a couple of weeks ago. Took five of six from Toledo. 
Then an Omaha team came in here and won five in a row, and we couldn't believe it. And the Indians had a better record than Omaha did, five or six games better. The thing about baseball is it's always, always has been and always will be so unpredictable, more unpredictable than any of the other sports. Like, go oh, a few years ago, 2019, the visiting team won all seven games in the World Series. Uh, between uh, that was Washington right. and Houston. Yeah. That so anyhow, uh, because of that starting pitcher, you can have a bad ball club. But if you get a well pitched game, or on the other hand, you can have a great team with position players. But if you don't get good pitching, like the uh, World Cup team, World Baseball Classic yeah, team, yeah. you know, if you don't get the pitching, so because of that, the game's so unpredictable. Uh, we see what the Pirates are doing right now in the NL Central. Is that something? Obviously, calling these games is that something you could see coming? Uh, no. That success? I, I or I is it a surprise? It. Nor the Reds, too. I mean, yeah. both those teams lost 100 games last By, year. The biggest surprise is the Cardinals that are awful yes, so far exactly. this year in the cellar. They're about 15 games wow. below 500. Yeah. So that division. Now, the Cubs just swept the Pirates. So the Pirates are a game above. The Reds are a game below, I believe. It's incredible. And the Brewers are at 500. The Brewers are in a state of disbelief after Oakland swept them in Milwaukee. So Howard Kelman, who is with us, how much you got left of the tank? I hesitate to ask, but I'm curious. Well, can I tell you that Bob Euchre is 89 and still broadcasting the Brewers games? <laughs> he does. I feel I great. See, I was very fortunate, unlike Bob Kravitz and Bob Lovell, when I had a heart attack, there was no damage done to my heart. And it's over seven years ago, so I exercise between an hour and an hour and a half every day. I feel as good as I ever have. No lost energy, so I hope to keep going. Well, you certainly haven't lost an ounce of energy. It is still right there at the tip top. You enjoy calling these games? Oh, yeah. Yeah. as much Love as you as ever did? Absolutely. You never know. One day it'll be 2-1. to one, The next day it'll be 10-9. to nine. In fact, the Indians lost 10-8 to eight last night. When you look at overall in your career, you gave us some great stories and certainly some stories from some of the more famous, more enjoyable decades of baseball we've had around here. What stands out to you overall about your 47 years of doing this job? Well, people ask about the biggest thrill, and the biggest thrill is doing the job every single day. That's the biggest thrill. You get really, I don't get nervous per se during a game, except when there's a no-hitter going. And I've called two no-hitters, two nine-inning no-hitters by one pitcher. The first one was my first year, May 24th, 1974 in Omaha. That was six weeks into my first season. I'm going to have a lot of these. Tom and Carroll call one. But I've only called one other one since, and that was in May 15th, a Sunday afternoon in 2005, when Ian Snell of the Indianapolis Indians threw a no-hitter against a really good Norfolk club. He walked one batter would have had a perfect game. There's something so special about a no-hitter, a perfect game. You get jittery like you feel like you're playing. It's incredible. Is uh, Randy Johnson the best pitcher you've ever seen well, here or at Bush Stadium in yes. this case? And he's one of the greatest pitchers of all time. Yeah. Now, when he first got to the big leagues, he was not a star. He struggled a bit. He was okay. He had bouts of wildness. And Nolan Ryan said to him, look, don't walk people like I did. And you're landing on the, in your delivery. You're landing on the heel of your foot land on the ball of your foot, that will help you. He did. His control got better and he just took off. That's incredible to think about, too, because you're right. I mean, it wasn't like he was this huge um, in the spotlight 
type of star. I mean, he was a guy that just kind of had to set his place and go at it and let his ability show, which he did. And, and a lot of it, you saw at Bush Stadium here. Yes, we certainly did. He had a good year. He started off slowly in 1988, but had a good year and uh, started the 89 season with the big club. Montreal struggled, was optioned to Indianapolis. We, three weeks into his tenure with us that year, we were in uh, Rochester Memorial Day weekend. A Saturday afternoon, he got traded. Montreal traded him to Seattle. Seattle. And for then Mark Langston. Langston, yeah. Mm-hmm. And they also, the Expos also gave up Gene, Hol- Gene Harris and Brian, Brian Holman, Holman yeah. who were two fine young pitchers, but they had arm injuries well, down there. Yeah, and Brian Holman was supposed to be better. I think they viewed him at the time better than they did Randy Johnson. He had better control yeah. at that time. Yeah, so, yeah, it was amazing. The Mark Langston thing, that was maybe the last time the Expos really did anything that outrageous, outlandish at the end of the year um, and, and, and dug down into their farm system and traded away because after that it was basically they were the ones that were doing right. the trading away of the Stars. What happened was the owner was Charles Bronfman. He was going to sell the team in a few years, and he said, I want to win now, so do anything you possibly can, he said to his front office, to win now, and that's why they made that trade. Where's the, um, where's the, who has the, uh, the ownership of the Expos logo? Do you know? No, I hadn't, hadn't thought of that. I, I don't know. So uh-huh. I'm the only one that probably would think about that. It just <laughs> occurred to me as one of the greatest logos, I think, in uh-huh. baseball history. And they had the best record in 1994, but then yeah. the, the strike occurred, and that was the end of baseball exactly. in Montreal. Yeah. It was yeah. never the same after yeah, it was that. Ne- you know, it, was, it was never the same. But I mean, you're right. You called so many incredible players that came up here in Indianapolis that went on to Montreal to be incredible. Yes, we I mean, did. I'm, I'm sure I'm forgetting about some right now. But Eric Davis, Cincinnati, too. Yeah. In Indianapolis here in 1983. He was here in 83? Yes. How long was Eric Davis The here? last three weeks of the season, and he tore it up. He was incredible. Oh, man. Howard Kelman. I could do this for days, buddy. I could. Hey, congratulations on the 47 years, and keep them coming. Thank you so much, JMV. I listen to you all the time. Keep up the great work. Thank you. That's Howard Kelman right there everybody 47 years calling indianapolis indians games and he continues doing it at such a high level thanks again howard thank you very much quick break and we shall return live from victory field where Ileana christian and covenant christian are preparing to take i'm sure a little infield coming up here victory field and that first pitch is set for 5 30 other side you know this name don't you jeremy chin secondary carolina panthers he's got a football camp coming up in his hometown of fishers later on this month and jeremy's going to join us coming up on the other side live from victory field it is the ihsaa state baseball championships beginning today at 5 30 we'll look for you here 93.5 and 107.5 the fan Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. The Ride with JMV. This is your brain on drugs. Any questions? 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. Hey, welcome back to Victory Field. Jeremy Chen's going to join us in a second. Let me tell you just how much I thoroughly enjoyed that conversation with Howard Kelman and how much I could have continued. The The only flub I had is asking him about the uh, Montreal Expos logo. <laughs> I'm sorry. That is one of the greatest logos of all time right there. One of the greatest. 
Greg Rakestraw is walking over here right now. Jeremy Chin's going to join us in just a second, but we'll let uh, Greg mount up as you're getting ready to make the call. Do not let me delay Jeremy Chin. Well, no, no, we'll let, we'll let you know when he's here. Whatever amount of tackles he's had for the Panthers are that many more <laughs> than I've had in my NFL career. Man, this is this is awesome right here. I love doing the show here. I just went about 15 minutes with baseball history with Howard Kelman. That did not suck. You went right down the river with HK, <laughs> huh? Well, yeah, and I went, I went right after the old school Reds and the big red machine and, you know, the Expos that he covered in Bush Stadium. George Foster, it. Ken Griffey oh. Sr., Felipe Alou, Randy Johnson, LeGrand Shaw, Andres Galarraga. Oh, man. Well, I mean, they had Grissom, DeShields, Larry Walker, all those dudes. And you can literally see all those faces as you walk around the outfield when they yeah. show the historically significant Indianapolis Indians in Major League Baseball. Give me a little bit of input about what we're going to uh, hear with you, for example. Well, you're going to see a lot of green, uh, as you can tell from warming up. Covenant Christian on the left, on the right yeah. being Ileana Christian. Ileana Christian, this is their third year eligible in the IHSAA tournament, and they're playing for a second state championship. Covenant Christian was 7-14 and 14 at one point, but they play in the same league as Ron Colley, Chittard, yeah. Rebuff, and Garen Catholic. They played in the city championship game here, Record-wise, you don't think this game is going to be great, but trust me, I think it's going to be a pretty good one as I see people streaming down to the field for two reasons. A, gates are open, and Jeremy Chin is standing by on the Andy Moore well, Automotive you, Group hotline. Yeah, thank you. You stay right there, oh, too. No, no. We'll get back to you in just a second. Jeremy Chin does join us down. Jeremy, how you doing? What's up? I'm doing good. How you doing? We're down at Victory Field. Were you a baseball player at all back in the day in high school? Not at all. Nah, well, I mean, you made a hell of a choice, man. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. Your choice your choice was pure. Hey, how are things going right now? And obviously, in the direction that you're going, there's going to be a lot of new and freshness under center this coming year, huh? Yeah, things have been great. We actually just wrapped up mini camp yesterday. Uh, we had a really good spring. Can, um, can you tell? That there's a difference between, you know, obviously, you know, we're talking about, you know, Bryce Young being in there. Obviously, we're talking about, you know, Frank Reich being a first-year head coach with you now. Can you tell that – is there a difference from, from what you have uh, been a part of minicamp-wise of the past? Yeah, most definitely. Um, the energy is great. The, the group came in to really work this, this offseason, so it's really good to see. Um, really excited how, how we all together come fall camp. Uh, but, I mean, so far, everything's been great. What do you gather? And I, I know you haven't seen a great deal. You've seen you know, just a little bit. But what do you gather from, from Bryce Young, from what you've seen him throwing the football so far? Uh, he's poised. Uh, you can tell he's definitely been in those, those big games, been in those big situations. Uh, doesn't seem rattled by much of anything. Uh, and he's super confident. Uh, everybody everybody can tell his confidence, uh, the belief that he has in himself, but he's also very humble at the same time. Did find it kind of feel like a, a rebirth of sorts for this football team, you included with this going into this year? Does it, it feel good with this new and freshness with the coach and with the quarterback here moving forward for you? Yeah, 100%. You know, you know and, and that's part. Starting with the coach. Go ahead. Uh, yeah, what, what are some of the things, you know, besides the enthusiasm you brought up just a little bit earlier, some of the other things that you've noticed just in the early stages about things that are changing, evolving, if you will, Jeremy, with the football team in Carolina? Yeah, a big part of the coaches staff, just the years of experience that our staff has, uh, the knowledge, 
like just being able to, to go around and you know if I have any questions about absolutely anything about the game um, there's, there's so many people so many resources around the building that I can go to to get answers yeah you know sometimes that transition can be be difficult but uh it just seems like to me with what you see and again i'm on the outside looking in in carolina it, it looks like that with, with the, the excitement that you got and again the new and the fresh feeling that uh that makes up for a lot of things to where maybe team wise you have struggled so far since you've been in the nfl seems like that that's probably putting you in a spot to be excited maybe the most that, that you've been excited being in this panther uniform so far right yeah, I mean, there's a lot to look forward to. Um, we have a great group of guys. We have a great coach, coaching staff as a whole. So there's definitely a lot of excitement right now. Um, but obviously, you know, being so early, there's still a whole lot of work to be put in. All right, so you mentioned Jeremy Chin, by the way, the Carolina Panthers via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. You mentioned that uh, minicamp just wrapped up. So uh, when is it that you're going to make it back to Fishers here? Is it at the end of the month? Is it here relatively soon? When are you going to get back? Yeah, I'll be back in Fishers next week. So uh, I'll be hosting the camp on Saturday. Actually, on Friday at Fishers High School, Friday night. Uh, so looking, looking forward to that. Super excited about that. What um what does this camp entail? What are you hoping to get from this camp? And obviously somebody that's been through so much collegiately and now, you know, as a valued member defensively for an NFL team there in Carolina. What what do you want to teach to the kids that are gonna be a part of your camp? Uh I wanna instill part of my journey, um, really and show them that, you know, accomplishing your goals and reaching it to the highest level of football and really not just football but your professional or whatever is possible and also the the fact that come back home sort of spread that knowledge is something that means to me so uh, on top of also he is uh, Jeremy Chin is with us you know part of your journey is one that 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 obviously it's not giving up and it's also if you play at a high level, you're going to be found. And believe me, it's not like Southern Illinois. I mean, Carbondale's on every map. But, you know, it is not one of these these power fives, Jeremy, that we talk about all the time. But your story is great. One, because it's a local one here coming out of Fisher's High School. But the other is it goes to show you if you play at a high level, they're going to find you, which exactly they did. Yeah, 100%. It's uh, Jeremy Chin is with us. A little bit of a rundown once again for that camp that you're going to be a part of that you're putting on in Fishers, Indiana coming up this month. Yeah, it'll be Friday, Friday evening at Fishers High School. Uh, like I said, I, w- I want to spread my journey, um, you know, spread my story and and really just, you know, in- impact a, a group of kids and grab- in- impact a group of people from where I'm from. So, Show them that it's possible. And uh, also on Saturday, I'm, I'm hosting another camp, an IPS camp at Douglas Park. Um, kind of the same opportunity. I um, Again, one of the better stories that we've heard around here in a long time. When you, when you were growing up, Jeremy, who did you idolize as a football player? Did you grow up a, a Colts fan in Fishers? That was an outstanding fan. 
I liked a lot of players that were on the Ravens, too. I was a big Ed Reed fan, big Ray Lewis fan. Um, I was a running back when I was younger, so I was usually Danny and Pops. Uh, so, Jeremy Chin right there, and obviously you're going to be a big Ed Reed fan, you know, playing the position that you certainly play. And, again, he's got camps coming up uh, in Fishers. He's got one coming up at Douglas Park as well. Um, giving back to the community is what he does. The former Fisher High School standout. And, of course, the Jeremy Chin Foundation. Before I let you go, I did want you to, to hit on a couple of things. As long as your phone hangs in here with us, Jeremy, regarding your foundation, the Jeremy Chin Foundation and – what that entails, and how much work has been put into that so far in your young career as well. Yeah, so the Jerry Chin Foundation, um, you know, I'm really, really connected with the Charlotte community. Uh, one of the big things I noticed when I first got to Charlotte when I was drafted by Carolina was the homelessness, the amount of homelessness, the homelessness community. And um, really just finding any way that I could reach out and, and reach back to, to help in any way possible. So, the Jeremy Chin Foundation really helps, you know, those dealing with homelessness and really alleviating their life and making their life a lot better from from children that, that deal with the, the issues to adults. So um, there's a lot of things that I'm, I'm doing. One thing I'm doing in July is uh, school supply give out, backpack handouts and things like that just so, you know, kids are have, have those things to go to school and make their life a little bit easier, whether it be going to school or, you know, people going to work, providing coats and things like that. It's awesome, man. Well, keep up the great work. You know that we follow you a great deal here in Indy and uh, certainly are proud of what you've accomplished. And, and, again, it's just a great story of, you know, you come out of Fishers, you go to Southern Illinois, you play at a high level. And in closing, I've always wanted to know, because I bring this up all the time with guys I have on the show, when you were at Southern Illinois and you thought maybe – People playing your position not as good with you, not as good as you, in your opinion, is, is that a chip on the shoulder that helped you get where you are today? Did that continue to motivate you? Maybe your feeling of you getting slighted with others, and then obviously now, you know, being a starter and a huge contributor with the Carolina Panthers in that secondary was that a huge motivator for you throughout? Yeah, I mean, you know, it's crazy. I really feel like it's kind of been the story of my life. Um, you know, coming from even when I was at Fishers and being under-recruited and not really feeling like I had uh, really not even the spotlight, the recognition and, you know, everything as far as that and that I really wanted to have. So um, there's always going to be an edge, you know, to, to get better and to improve myself and whatever. I, I, I know – you know, going to a small school, you'll you'll most likely get overlooked just from where you're at. But like you said in the beginning of this, you know, the talent, it, it always ends up getting found. It always get, ends up being appreciated. So uh, I'm grateful for the opportunity that I had. Really, even just coming, going to Southern Illinois out of high school and to becoming a second-round pick out of college. Um, really just taking advantage of the opportunities that I have regardless if I felt like it was, uh, it was late or whether it felt like it was you know, maybe, like I said, later, not on time or under underappreciated in a way. You know, and Jeremy, in closing here, too, you mentioned being under-recruited. And I would have to guess, I would have to guess there's a fine line between, you know, being being pissed 
right about something and not having that play a role in your motivation and then you know, obviously, you're angry about it, but then you're thinking about it all the time. And, you know, you're going to lift extra in a weight session. You're going to do extra in the film room. That is probably, you know, again, you want to be recruited, you know, by Power Fives. You want to be recruited by Big Ten schools. But at the same time, that's probably helped really outline your path to where you are right now at the NFL level more so than it would anybody. How much do you look back on that path and you feel like that I'm glad I went down it because this helped me get to where I am in the NFL today? Yeah, I mean, it's everything. Um, it's all part of my journey, all part of my story. And looking back, I, I wouldn't change anything about it. I'm, I'm super grateful for it. And I know it's, it's helped create the person that I am. And it, it's all part of the story, all part of the process. Job well done and continue getting it done. Here's the camp again. Friday the 23rd in Fisher, Saturday the 24th at Douglas Park. The Douglas Park camp is free to the public and the Fisher's camp is $10 donation with all the money being split between the Jeremy Chin Foundation and, of course, his alma mater, Fisher's High School in the Athletic Department. Again, the 23rd in Fisher's and the 24th at Douglas Park. And you can see him on the field coming up in late July once again in training camp with the Carolina Panthers from Fishers High School. It is Jeremy Chin with us via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. Again, fantastic job so far. Keep on keeping on and when you get back again soon, we'll have you back on, Jeremy. Thank you very much. All right, thank you. And those those spots are still open, so we can we can fill those up at Fishers High School Friday night on the 23rd. Um, yeah, I hope to see everybody there. It's going to be a great time. I'm super excited. You got it. We'll send people your way. Jeremy, thanks again. All right. Thank you. Jeremy Chin, again, and you can go to Fisher's High School on the 23rd and just be a part of that. And then Douglas Park coming up on the 24th. Jeremy Chin has a fantastic story out of Fisher's. Southern Illinois and then Carolina. And that's secondary with the Panthers. New head coach Frank Reich. New quarterback is Bryce Young. That's is Jeremy Chin via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. John Herrick is here. I'm going to hit a quick – I tell you what, John, jump on here really quick. I'm going to hit a break and then come back. I'm trying to time this out right because you also have some responsibilities <laughs> coming up in just a little bit, coming off of newsworthy responsibilities here a couple of blocks away earlier, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, it's been a – you know, you're, you're talking about things that are going on in Indianapolis from a news standpoint. Then you get to come down to Victory Field and get to call uh, – two great baseball games uh, tonight. Uh, crowds already starting to come in. I got to see some of them um, on the way in. It's, it's going to be a great atmosphere here at Victory Field. I should have two outstanding games, and the weather looks awesome. We'll talk about that with you coming up on the other side. John Herrick's got the calls for the games this evening. Again, Ileana Christian and Coveted Christian at 530. You've got Silver Creek and Andrean, the nightcap, coming up later on this evening at Victory Field, where we are live today. And, of course, your coverage later on this evening right here on The Fan. Bobby Marks of ESPN, their NBA front office expert on if OG Ananobi and trading number seven is workable. And we talked about the assets and the leverage that the Pacers have produced over this past year. How much do they have compared to what others have going into the NBA draft next Thursday? Bobby Marks set to join us coming up at the top of the 5 o'clock hour. Quick break and we're back at Victory Field next. 93.5107.5 The Fan. 
Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. The Ride with JMV. Fat, drunk, and stupid is no way to go through life, sir. 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. If you're watching via YouTube Live right now inside the lounge, you can see the glorious and incredibly friendly confines of Victory Field right now. Ileana Christian and Covenant Christian going through some warm-up opportunities as they get going here at 5.30. The first of four state baseball title games, the 56th annual baseball state finals with the IHSAA. We got them for you right here, and we'll bring back right now John Herrick, who is uh, doing both games coming up later on tonight, also is the news director at 93 WIBC. So what happens when you do traffic on the fives? Traffic on the fives, and Matt Bear talks for five minutes about the FUBAR traffic around here. Yeah. Does that kind of screw up everything a no, little bit? No, it no. doesn't. I, I think when, you know, look, sometimes traffic is news. It is. Right. And, and um, any of you coming in or driving on I-70 today probably know that that's. Yeah, like any time now. Yeah. I'll, literally, I will go on to that on my way home after doing Saturday night, John. Uh, and, well, by that time, it's early Sunday morning, and I'll go down Bluff and, and you know, obviously go under I-70, and it's packed then, too. Yeah. It yeah. doesn't matter. I, I can't wait. Are they ahead of schedule at all with this? Can they, like, come out and say, hey, we're ahead of schedule, and it's not going to be, what, the 21st, yeah. I think, is when they're going to reopen? I yeah. I think by if they would have, they probably would have done it by now. I think we're stuck till the 21st, and then they're doing closures on the other side of 465. <laughs> so, I mean, <laughs> I, I tell everybody this is going to be one heck of a state when it's all built, whenever that is. Exactly. <laughs> and then by the time we get done, and then we'll have to catch up even further to yeah. others. Yeah. That's one thing that can, and nothing against the state of Indiana here, but the one thing that Kentucky has going, they may not have any teeth nor indoor plumbing, but they do have some pretty nice roads. Yeah, they do. And very few orange barrels blocking everything. Oh, man, I'm telling you. So, Matt Bear, traffic on the fives lasts about five minutes now, especially <laughs> on a Friday, the way that it goes downstairs on 93 WIBC. Of course, you're the news director. You're calling the games. Ileana Christian is a defending champion, one of four defending champions here, trying to bring it back home once again. What do you make uh, of this group against Covenant Christian? Well, I mean, they're very experienced group and yeah that's one of the big stories uh you know one of four teams coming back first time that's happened in the multiple class era since 1998 and i got to call their championship game last year they look great i mean and um you know coming back again look strong i mean this could be a field john where we have you know four returning state champions win it again i mean that could very easily happen between tonight and tomorrow um and but i will say their people are going to look at covenant christian and they're going to say well you know they were 11 and 15, and they're just—they're a game over 500. Do they really stand a chance? Well, of course they do, because they're going to have a lot of people here that are already filing into the state. They are, and they're—they're going to bring a kind of a home field advantage, probably, because they're not far from here. 
and they are hot. They've won five games uh, in a row and have just looked outstanding and already have seven starters back from a team that went 18 and 11 last year. So they've definitely relied on that leadership to get them to this point. So Ileana Christian's been solid, but they'll have a big challenge. All right, too. And uh, by the way, you've got uh, Dave Pishker, who's won like nine billion games yes. at Andrean in game number two against Silver Creek. Yeah, he'll, if he wins tonight, it'll be his 1,100th career win. Well, I was pretty close. I said 9,000. Yeah, it yeah. feels like that, though. And <laughs> Andrean's just been a juggernaut. But Silver Creek's no joke, so it should be interesting to see what happens. Uh, John Herrick right there. What time are you going to get underway? Uh, we start at 530. Probably go on the air a little bit before that, do a little pregame. We join you in progress, I believe. Uh, yep. Because yep. you got to go for me, and we got to get we got to make sure Gorman has like 30 minutes to yip-yap <laughs> with the last word, and then you're going to take over. Who's with you? Uh, Jim Leisure. Who you- Jim, I love Jim Leisure, yeah. man. Yeah. It is a good damn day when Jim Leisure's talking to uh, you. Yeah. Let me tell you that He's right very there. matter of fact. It's uh, John Herrick doing the uh, play-by-play for yep. the finals tonight. News director, 93 WIBC with traffic on the fives with Matt Bear talking for five minutes about the traffic on your way home <laughs> on a Friday. Thanks, John. Uh, thank you, JMV. John Herrick right there. Bobby Marks on the other side. He is the front office expert for the NBA with ESPN.com. Does any of this Pacer stuff make sense? We'll see if it does to him. Bobby joins us top of the hour next. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. The Ride with JMV. It's Jim Pimmer, now talk to him, damn it! 93.5 and 107.5, The Fan. Hey, welcome back. We're live at Victory Field. Got the little state finals baseball action. Four classes begin the first of four. Get started here at 530. We'll get you updated on that in a second. Hey, tomorrow, by the way, and this is going to be for a future show, I'm going to go in the morning and hang out with the legend Oscar Robertson tomorrow. So a little one-on-one Q&A with one of the greatest of all time coming up tomorrow, and I'll utilize that for a future show. I'll report back to you, but that's something that has been on my bucket list for a long time, and I cannot wait to do that coming up tomorrow. Meantime, with us now, via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline, as we get into that chatter less than a week away from the NBA draft, the front office expert for ESPN, it's our friend Bobby Marks who joins us now. Good afternoon, Bobby. How you doing? I'm good. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. I, I know you're incredibly busy right now. I want to start right here. One of the, the Brian Windhorst rumors regarding the Pacers who drafted number seven coming up on Thursday is that of they kind of want to wiggle loose of that pick right now and go after an already NBA established wing. We'll start just on the surface. Is that a move? Do you think if they're thinking about doing that, that is beneficial and that would be the right play for the Pacers and Kevin Pritchard move? forward well I mean I think it's all matters of who that player is um, if it's a guy that's on an expiring contract it, it probably doesn't make sense if it's a guy that's on a rookie contract or is on a contract that's got some length that maybe makes more more sense here I think I think they're in a really good spot I mean I think where they are at um, you know certainly at seven um, I think they'll get a you know they're not going to get the Brandon Millers and the Scoot Hendersons we'll see who who falls there I think you can probably find a, a four if you're if you're looking for that um, 
So I think you've got plenty of options, especially where, when you're picking in the back end at, at 26, 29. You've got uh, 32 and 55, I think, also. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I, I like you're in that in-between period. Like if you're going to move out of the lottery then or a, an established player, like you better hope that player is going to be here for more than just two years here. Well, I think uh, in a final year of a deal is one OG Ananobi, and he's most commonly been mentioned, and obviously uh, it was reported the Pacers had interest in him moving up to the trade deadline back in, in February. All right, as somebody that's been through this before, you, you have to know that longer term this is going to work out for you, or that can be some dangerous territory right there. Oh, yeah. I mean, OG's a good name, but the pro, you know, with him he's got a um, player option for next year. Um, although the extension rules have changed, would he, you know, it, it was a little bit more of an increase here. Is he a type of player that would, you know, commit to a long-term ex- extension after after six months of the trade? I think that that makes that would make sense if you can get him, you know, to, you know, if you can get him to commit. I think you run into the danger if he doesn't, and then you go into next offseason, he's an unrestricted free agent. So. Uh, how delicate is that situation to try to handle it? Because you want to know the outcome, but you really don't know until the thing is signed and the deal is done. How delicate can that be? For example, in this case, if that is the path that Kevin Pritchard and Chad Buchanan would like to move down. Yeah, I mean, the benefit of it is that you have him for almost a year to basically in-house recruit one of the top free agents in the 2024 offseason. So that's the, that's the beauty of it. And the, beauty, the other second of it is that you, you're the ability to give him more money than any other team out there um, when you, in, you know, inherit his bird rights here. So we've done it. You know, I did it in Brooklyn. I mean, we moved, um, you know, I think number three at the time, um, you know, and wound up getting Darren Williams. And Darren was, you know, was going to be a free agent. And we basically had a year to recruit him and keep him and uh, woo him and everything like that. And I think it's a lot – I think it makes it a lot easier compared to next offseason if OG was a free agent and you have two hours to meet with him in free agency here. So that's the, you know, that's a little bit of the high, you know, the, the reward versus the risk there um, in, in that regard. So Bobby Marks from ESPN, he is the uh, front office expert in the NBA, joining us via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. And Bobby, you alluded to the fact that the Pacers have a lot of options compared to the rest of the NBA going into the week of the NBA draft. Where might the Pacers rank, in your opinion, as far as having options compared to those around them in the NBA? Yeah, I mean, they basically kind of check the boxes as far as what you have available, whether it be you know, the five picks, which I think certainly towards that back end are going to probably be on the move somehow. I think, I think you know, what we're seeing now is teams parlaying the, the, the now, which is draft picks for the future, because eventually you're going to have to pay some of your younger players, whether it be Halliburton or, you know, maybe you make a trade, you know, the cost eventually starts to add up here. And so I think that's, you know, certainly one thing I think, yeah. And then the other thing is you have, you know, you have your young players and then you have, you know, you have the cap flexibility going into this offseason to maybe go out and get one or maybe multiple players or maybe take back a player in a trade here. So I think they're in, I think they're in good position. I think the draft is, you know, um, you know, it's, it's, you gotta, you gotta hit on these picks. I think that's, you know, especially for guys that are on these low cost contracts or your rookie scale contracts, it, those are, you know, those are critical here. And um, they've got an opportunity, you know, starting, you know, with the seventh pick on Thursday night. 
to Bobby Marks with us. You mentioned that there is normally a, a drop-off uh, for everybody after the first three selections in this draft. But give me some thoughts about those that will go, you know, from basically four through ten in this case and, and maybe something where you might be, be able to mine some gold there that will surprise at that next level. Give me some names that you like in that particular category, Bobby. Yeah, I mean, Taylor Hendricks from UCF is a big, big wing. I think he could probably play four positions here, and I think he could play small ball five. Um, He's a good name. I don't know if Cam Whitmore from Villanova gets to seven. I think if he does, it would be a steal. Um, You know, another another big wing. We'll see what happens with the Thompson Twins. They'll probably likely go before um, before Indiana is picking. I think they're a little bit more of a, I would say, project. I'd say probably more of those upside pick. I think um, I think Whitmore, I think Hendricks, you can play right now, put him in a game here. Um, you know, Anthony Black's a good name, but how does he fit with Halbert? You know, another a big guard there. Um, so, uh, Drace Walker from Houston's a big four, you know, 6'8", 250. I think we could play, you know, three, four, probably five. Um, those are your kind of your sweet spots um, as far as, you know, kind of in that in that range right there. So Bobby Marks, who's with us, the most common comparison we've done on this show is between Walker and Hendricks. And, and my thought is, if you draft a seven and that's your availability, I go Walker because what the Pacers need, defense and rebounding, I think more so than anything else, he looks like a guy that is strong and ready-made to contribute early in those two capacities in the NBA. How do you compare him if indeed that is a choice to be made between he and Hendricks at number seven, Bobby? Yeah, I mean, and I think he can. I, fit, I think he fits in well with Miles too. Um, you know, as far as you, even if you put him at the five, Miles at, at the four. Yeah, I mean, I think that's you know that's the fit part here. And I think um, you know certainly with you know with with Hendricks, it's a little bit different here. Kind of a more of a lanky wing. Um, but I think they have a. As I said, they have an opportunity about maybe either one of those players is, is staring at them at um, you know at seven, and I think they have an opportunity to get a good player. All right, Bobby, uh, about this time last year, uh, before I let you go here, the, the Pacers uh, signed to an offer sheet DeAndre Ayton. Uh, and then luckily for the Pacers, about 90 minutes later, Phoenix matched, and you know, that little conversation was over. Um, and I asked Chad Buchanan this about a month ago. I said, you guys feel like you dodged a bullet there. Of course, he's going to say all the right things and not answer that uh, to the question in which I asked. But I'll ask you that. Did they dodge a bullet compared to where they could be right now with Ayton, what they got out of Miles, their extension of miles compared to what they would have had with Aiden had that thing stuck yeah I, I think they did I mean I, I think especially you know the likelihood is that Halburn gets a probably a rookie max this year um, you know eventually the numbers start to add up here when you add um, Halburton next year and uh, if you had eight in there um, it starts to get there so I, I, I do I mean I think I think Andre is a good player here but I just think you're paying a center $33 million, and if his name isn't Jokic um, and Bede, um, you know, certainly in, in those those players that I just mentioned, um, I think it's a little bit of – I think you, you're better off using your resources somewhere else. All right, one final thing. I know you get a run here, but I'm curious your thoughts. 25-game suspension for John Moran handed down earlier today what are your, your thoughts on that is that is that survivable for a, a grizzly team that's talented but oftentimes can't get out of their own way 
Yeah, I mean, they, they still have Tyus Jones, so that's you know probably one of the best backups in the league here. I think it is survivable. I think I wasn't surprised at 25 games. I saw a lot of people were thinking it was going to be more. I was like, what? no, it wasn't going to be more. Um, I think the interesting part of it is that he's not allowed to participate in training camp or be in the facility or basically do anything associated with the team. And it will be interesting come, I guess that will probably get you to December, those 25 games, where John Moran is in December here and where this Grizzlies team is. All right, I know you got to run here. We may catch up with you and see what the Pacers end up doing and kind of play off of that with you uh, at the end of next week or something. But hey, man, thanks for always finding time for us here in Indy because this is definitely going to be one of the more interesting off-seasons I think we've seen in a long time around this Pacer team. And we'd love to get your breakdown and your knowledge on that, Bobby. Thank you very much. Have a great yeah, weekend. I appreciate it. Thanks, thanks for having me on. Uh, Bobby Marks right there of ESPN. He had to make a run, I think, for TV right there. But uh, he is always so good with us. He was so good with Kyle Udemark when Kyle ran the show, and he's equally as good with James. And we got to thank him for coming on on what is a busy Friday for him with a lot of information that is floating around out there, one of which – is what we started off the show with. And again, I'll reset to where we are today. Victory Field, the side of the four, 56th annual baseball state championship games, the first of which, as Covenant Christian just took a little bit of infield out there, now Ileana Christian, the defending champions in their class, they are now taking infield, and the game is set to get underway here. First pitch is at 5.30. We're going to join these games in progress coming up after the last word. So I'll give you a little thumbnail sketch. Uh, Paul Knightig, the commissioner of the IHSAA, is going to join me at 6 o'clock because we go over time a little bit and we'll work up to the last word. And then after the last word, we will join in progress this baseball game and then have for you as well Andran and Silver Creek coming up after that and then obviously tomorrow you've got Lafayette Central Catholic you've got Bar Reeve in that matchup in the afternoon and the nightcap in 4A is going to be Penn and going to be Center Grove and one of the interesting aspects of, of this matchup in these state final baseball games is the fact that you have four teams that are trying to defend first time that's happened in four different classes. Eliana Christian taking on Covenant Christian. Eliana Christian won a year ago. That's the class 2A matchup at 530. Of course, Andran in 3A is a staple here as it seems. 28-6-1. They take on Silver Creek from the south in Sellersburg, Indiana. Silver Creek at 25-7. Again, that's in 3A. Lafayette Central Catholic, a winner a year ago in the Class A championship game. They get Bar Reeve. Bar Reeve outlasted Shackamack. Both are Southwestern Indiana baseball staples. And Bar Reeve 29 and 3. That's at 4.30 tomorrow as Lafayette Central Catholic looks to defend their title. And then in 4A, got Penn. Penn won the softball state crown in Lafayette over Ron Colley last week. 
And the baseball team goes to defend their title coming up tomorrow night at 8 o'clock as they take on, again, arguably, debatably speaking, 29-3 and Center Grove. Uh, many would suggest the best baseball team of the state of Indiana. And if you heard the story uh, that I brought to you yesterday with A.J. Zapp, A.J. Zapp was a 1996 first-round baseball amateur draft selection by the Atlanta Braves. Uh, he fell a game short of winning it all when he was in high school, and his son Evan is a part of this Center Grove team, a significant part of it, and he goes for a little unfinished business for his dad coming up tomorrow evening. Again, a great Father's Day story we brought to you yesterday with A.J. Zapp on the show. And by the way, that podcast is at 107.5thefan.com. Really interesting to say the least. But that's what's going on down here. And that's the timetable. Again, Paul Neidig, who is the commissioner of the IHSAA, is going to come at you here with me at 6 o'clock. And there's still a lot of stuff going on with the IHSAA in mind. You know, meetings, um, seeing about the, the class system still some adjustments with that in mind and Paul's going to join me at six o'clock and we shall talk about that but that's where we are at Victory Field and if you want a shot right now that's kind of interesting because this is the first time I've utilized this and been here via YouTube live but I have the the stream which is the YouTube live feed going on right now inside the lounge as you can see if you go ahead and log on and check it out even if you don't get a part of the conversation inside the lounge via YouTube Live, you can watch Eliana Christian take infield before this game. So we got that going inside the lounge via YouTube Live, and that is going on right now. Meantime, I want to double back to what we started the show and talking about a little bit earlier. And there goes that can I had just fell right down there. That's too bad. It was the Brian Windhorse rumor. I should say a report that he had, eh, rumor, report, whatever. As I mentioned, about 90% pre-draft stuff ends up being untrue. We end up talking about a lot of crap. And, again, I let you know about this because that's just the way that it goes. I let you know that with all the stuff we talk about. Remember, prior to free agency of the NFL, we bring up all these different scenarios. We consider all these different reports. And then about 90% of it, 9 out of every 10, turn out to be completely nothing but hot air. Nothing going on there. So before free agency in the NFL, we do that. We tell you about that before you get started with the NFL draft, and we do that again you know, prior to the NBA draft. Now, it's going to be interesting this year because this is one of the first times in a while where you're thinking maybe the Pacers would do something, and I hesitate to suggest majorly interesting, but certainly interesting. I hesitate to say eye-opening, but maybe surprising considering what has been the past and not a great deal going on. You know, I brought up to Bobby Marks a moment ago. We were out in the Backyard Bourbon broadcast in Fishers with Matt Schleter and company. And this was almost to the day or close to it when the Pacers signed DeAndre Ayton to an offer sheet. And that got about 90 minutes of the most compelling radio, Pacers-wise, we've had in a long time. But again, 90 minutes 
was all that it was because then about 90 minutes later, the Suns matched that offer. And again, as Bobby Marks just stated, that was a positive for the Pacers. That was a good thing for the Pacers because now the Suns are stuck in a situation where they want to get rid of DeAndre Ayton. And I know Frank Vogel, the new head coach, is saying all the right things about how you have to implement him and how you have to make him a part of this team and how that's going to work. But honestly, in so many circles out there, the suggestion is it'd be great to find a different seat for he and his contract because of what they're trying to do right now with that team, with, you know, obviously with Durant and with Booker and, you know, what they're thinking about doing with Chris Paul. A lot of questions to be answered, but that's what we were dealing with almost to the day this time last year was that. And it gave us about 90 minutes of strong content. But this year should be different because this year, as Bobby had mentioned, if you missed that podcast, 1075thefan.com, I'll tell you this. High school coaches that hit solid fungo, they're few and far between, aren't they? And to me, they're incredibly impressive. Any high school baseball coaches, any baseball coaches at all, how talented are you with the fungo? I'm going to tell you what. The ultimate judge of the talent with a fungal, and again, this is something you could just watch via YouTube Live inside the lounge, is being able to hit that fungo pop-up to close out an infield session to your catcher. My man just was money with the pop-up behind the plate off a fungo. Hopefully a lot of you that are baseball coaches have talent with the fungo. I just saw some incredible talent with Ileana Christian and the fungo bat right there. But, no, we'll get back to the NBA stuff. The rumor was earlier today that the Pacers weren't altogether thrilled with wanting to have to draft number seven. And we were just talking to Bobby Marks about, you know, where is kind of the in-between. And most folks would suggest that you've got the first three, and whether or not, you know, you know Wimbayama's the obvious, the unanimous number one overall. And then you got some suggesting that it's Brandon Miller, Scoot Henderson. Some say Scoot Henderson, Brandon Miller, whatever. And then after that, you've got uh, the Thompson twins. You've got Cam Whitmore. You've got others in a similar category right there. But most notably, what we've talked about with the Pacers is what could be uh, between Walker and Hendricks. And the interesting dynamic is that is that Walker would seemingly fit if it's number seven overall because of just what his body type is and what he brings to the table, what he brings to the table beyond having to fit in offensively. Maybe not having the higher level, a higher bar set of an individual offensive player as much as being able to bring a couple of significant needs to the Pacers immediately. And that is a better defensive player. And as Bobby Marks alluded to, somebody defensively and then somebody rebounding-wise that would help play off of the efforts of Miles Turner. So you've got Walker and you've got Hendricks. Hendricks is a guy from Central Florida um, that certainly many that have judged him would suggest he has a much better, much higher upside offensively. 
shooting the basketball than Walker might have. But it looks to be more of a work in progress. And you know, who knows whether or not the dude can play defense. But that certainly is not a calling card of his being able to play defense. But the rumor is that the number seven overall is being heavily shopped right now because the Pacers don't want to select there and because the Pacers would like to bring in an already established wing. And many of those rumors that have been talked about right now would be that of OG Ananobi. Yeah, now, obviously, you, you want some consideration because you know, Ananobi got a player option after this year, and he could bail. So if you're going to do something like that, you would have to know that you're going to be able to keep him around longer than that. Otherwise, that's going to be a disaster. And the other consideration is if that is the wing that reportedly they're looking at, you know, and DeAndre Hunter is another name that comes out in Atlanta that may have some pacer interest. But if Ananobi is the target here can you still pick up i think toronto this off the top of my head toronto has ownership of 13 i think overall which is still still on the inside you know very late obviously in the lottery uh, the, the lottery portion of the nba draft but still a part of it can you exchange the picks and then give them more picks, the ones that you have of assets down the road, and then bring in Ananobi. And then if you bring in Ananobi with that in mind, understanding that uh, that he is going to be intent upon being around here longer than just next year. Those are the types of situations that we talked about. And honestly, that's the situation that I think is – to me, the most interesting and the best is being able to add something that you don't have, something that you covet at such a high level, being able to add that right now and still being able to take a chance, take a shot on drafting late in this particular NBA draft lottery. That is the absolute, that's the, that's the hope that I have right there. And uh, we shall see if it works out that way. But that is the Brian Windhorst rumor that the Pacers would like to and have been talking to others about trying to shake loose of number seven overall and get an already established wing player. Then all of us kind of point the finger to that established wing player being that of OG Ananobi. Uh, we talked about that with Bobby Marks a little bit earlier. Evan Sidery kind of talked to us about that to really start off the show. Uh, a large portion of those rumors that are floating around, including that of DeAndre Hunter uh, with Atlanta, which was one that kind of popped a little bit yesterday. Now, again, who knows? 90% of these all end up being hot air. But certainly, conversationally speaking, the Pacers should be a part of this coming up before the draft and then going into uh, the free agency portion of the NBA season probably as talked about as I can remember in a while around here with that in mind. So we'll discuss that still to come. Come back with you. I think we have Jethro Tull tickets to give away a little bit later on. Hey Cam, what's going on at TCU Amphitheater tonight? Do we know? What is it? It's uh, three doors down and uh 
Candlebox is the main. Oh, that's tour. over there tonight. Yeah, that's Candlebox's final tour, I think, right? Yeah, something Ever? like that. And then the Three Doors Down is like one of their original albums. It's like they're celebrating that album as this tour. Is that uh, Loser and Here Without You, baby? Uh, I believe that, so. Yeah. Three Doors Down and Candlebox. Because I think they were running some tests a little bit earlier today. Very loud tests. This is something. If you come to these games tonight, you will very easily hear. Candlebox and three doors down right next door at TCU Amphitheater. Easily hear that with these two championship games coming up later on tonight. All right, quick break and I shall return. If you guys want to join, you can at 239-1070. James, I'll give you a little insight here. I am trying my hardest to go as long as I can because I want to make sure we're in break when they go to the national anthem because I know that's coming and there's nothing that makes me f- I, I can't talk over the national anthem so I'm trying to get us into a break uh, before the national anthem starts or when the national anthem is playing here so that's why I'm stretching this a little bit longer certainly than usual I'll tell you what though we'll take a break and come back maybe some calls at 239-1070 if you so desire Paul Nighting is the commissioner of the IHSAA he's going to join us coming up at the top of the hour and we have had a fantastic show so far featuring Bobby Marks of ESPN the NBA front office expert Jeremy Chin of the Carolina Panthers was on the show. Also talked to Greg Rakestraw. John Herrick was here. The legendary in year number 47 for Howard Kelman, who joined us a little bit earlier, the voice of the Indianapolis Indians. Evan Sidery was here. Uh, we talked about some of those basketball rumors going around, too. And Pat Sullivan of Sullivan Hardware and Garden with hashtag AskPat. He was also here, too. All right, quick break, and we shall return. Getting ready to get underway with a little championship baseball at 530. Eliana Christian and Covenant Christian. That and more coming your way live from Victory Field on a Friday. It's 93.5, The Fan. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. The Ride with JMV. Now you listen here. He's not the Messiah. He's a very naughty boy. Now go away. 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. Hey, welcome back. Victory Fields, our location in front of Elliot Christian and Covenant Christian. Let's pay honor to our country with our national anthem. Thank you. 
That, ladies and gentlemen, our national anthem. Welcome back. Getting set for Atlanta Christian and Covenant Christian, the baseball state finals game one of four here at Victory Field today. I get to thank everybody from the IHSAA for having us out here. Uh, you know, Jason and Chris and the gang for putting us up here in the club area and what should be an absolutely outstanding evening of baseball. As I mentioned, Ileana Christian, the defending champions in Class 2A at 24-9. and nine. Coveted Christian is 16-15 and 15 overall. They are set now to get underway for baseball. The 3A game matches up Andran at 28-6-1 and six and one versus Silver Creek. At 25 and 7. Again, that's your 3A state title game. That is at 8 o'clock tonight. And then coming up tomorrow, more baseball out here at Victory Field. The Class A title game. That's at 4.30. Lafayette Central Catholic, they are the defending champion in Class A. They take on Bar Reeve out of Montgomery, Indiana. And then Penn, a year ago, won it in 4A. They'll try to match that at 26 and 8. They'll take on 29 and 3, Center Grove, coming up tomorrow night at 8 o'clock. But it has been a fantastic day so far. Jethro, tall tickets for you before we bail out of here. And again, a little bit of extra time for you as well. As after 6 o'clock, Paul Knighting, who is the commissioner of the IHSAA, he will join us too. Uh, meantime, um, JMV, this is from a little bit earlier as far as talking about what the Pacers may or may not do as far as that number seven overall. You know, it's, it's really interesting to me. I am one that would like to see them end up doing something with a more established player. Like, I like hearing that as a reported rumor, as, you know, some info, some rumor mill grinding that's going on out there. And if the possibility is an Ananobi, I mean, especially if you can still get barely inside, but inside nonetheless, the NBA draft lottery, I really like that. Not to mention the fact you want to make sure that you're still, you know, in this case, able able to secure Ananobi longer term and not just for a year. But that's the kind of thing that I had talked about so far was that particular opportunity. And again, as we talked to Evan Sidery a little bit earlier, we talked to Bobby Marks a little bit earlier about how you look at that. It may come down to this. It may come down to the fact that they believe that not only do you have to add that, but if you add that with an established player, the effectiveness of your team being ahead of schedule would seem to be the viewpoint of the Pacers. If, again, if that Brian Windhorst rumor is true. That's certainly the way that it would seem. 
Uh, we talked about that and more with Evan Sidery a little bit earlier. That podcast is at 107.5thefan.com. And then Bobby Marks came on here at the start of the 5 o'clock hour going over all the options, the myriad of options that certainly the Pacers have right up there with the options of all other NBA teams. And it has been a long time since certainly you have felt that way, is it not? a long time as a Pacer fan since you've heard those types of words regarding your team. But a good thing. And less than a week away from the NBA draft, which is coming up here next Thursday. Should be absolutely outstanding. I'm telling you what, if I get one straight back here, I'm going to have to make a play on a foul ball. Because it says beware of foul balls. I'm very aware of the possibility of straight back at me in the club area foul balls as this game is officially underway with Ileana Christian coaxing a walk against Covenant Christian again underway in the two-way state title game down here at Victory Field got that John Morant 25 game suspension for his dual gun related situations in the past two and a half three or so months Uh, So we've talked about that at length as well. 25 games, the effect that's going to have. I thought thought Bobby Marks brought up a good point as far as Memphis being able to maintain. It's a lot of games without your star. A lot of games to start the season without your star. But the Grizzlies being able to maintain with what that team looks like, what that team is made up right now is, to me, fairly accurate in terms of the way that you look at it. But 25 games for John Morant, and something we have not talked about is the simple fact that Michael Jordan, Michael Jordan selling uh, his ownership stake in the Charlotte Hornets. That going down a little bit earlier today as well. So we talked about that, talked about John Morant, then talked about next week's going to be a good time. Next week will be a fantastic time for you, I promise. If you are a Pacer fan with some of these options and all these rumors you're going to hear again, they may turn out to be nothing, but there's going to be a lot of mention of them because they have a lot of options at their disposal. JMV at 107.5thefan.com is the email address. JMV, I heard you all week talking about the Reds and the first time us Reds fans are able to be able to embrace a team in a long time like this. 34-35, game and a half out of first. They start a weekend set in Houston. Houston is dinged up. I mean, Houston is got some injured players right now, but that's going to be a tough task, to say the least. That is an 8-10 start later on tonight for the Reds and the Astros. And that game is down in Houston for a weekend set. Um, and I want to remind everybody of this. When we tend to get excited about the Reds are those moments when they let you down. And we've already seen that in recent weeks. We saw that with the New York Yankees in town and that letdown series and just a couple of weeks ago. Just a couple of weeks ago when Milwaukee, then the front runner of the NL Central, came to town and saw how that series worked out. So this is still a work in progress. But Reds fans, as you know, you don't get oftentimes to be able to really embrace a team and some moments. It has been fleeting. So I have altogether 
been excited and certainly satisfied to talk up this team and what they have accomplished to this point, even if it goes away and goes away as quickly as this coming weekend. Now, that's not going to drain all the enthusiasm, but let's face it, then you'll go back and look, well, you swept Kansas City, but look what you did, you know, against a good team, a consistently good team. We'll look for that coming up this weekend from our Red Legs down in Houston against the Astros. All right, U.S. Open also ongoing. I'll get you updated on that. I mentioned this, too, and this is for a future show, but tomorrow I am going to go to the north side, and I'm going to have a sit-down one-and-one with Oscar Robertson. And that has been a bucket list of mine for a long time. And I got that call late last night and earlier today. I'm going to go up and uh, do a a sit-down one-and-one. I think it's going to be videoed, but at the same time, I'm going to utilize the audio for a future show. But that is something I've been wanting to do for a long time. The Hall of Famer and the legend Oscar Robertson. And that opportunity is coming up for me tomorrow, and you can listen for that on future shows. That excites me a great deal. Coming up tomorrow. All right. Ileana Christian leaves a runner on third. Covenant Christian gets that strikeout to end the top half of the first inning. Nothing on the board for Ileana Christian. And Covenant Christian, the pride of the west side of Indy, is coming to the plate. The Class 2A final, Ileana Christian and Covenant Christian, is officially underway. We'll get you there. We'll join the coverage after the last word coming up later on this evening. Then, of course, get you the games coming up tomorrow as as well right here paul nighting is the commissioner of the ihsaa he joins me coming up at the top of the hour and you know i mentioned tcu amphitheater that has three doors down and candle box later on tonight if you're coming to these games you will hear that show no doubt about it it will infiltrate victory field without question but i've got tickets for you for the tcu amphitheater coming up in august with the legendary band jethro tall those tickets could be coming at you in the next 10 minutes or so as we get you to the 6 o'clock hour and what has been a busy show today from Victory Field. And, yeah, so many of you responded to the conversation with Howard Kelman. I, as well, could have gone on for a number of hours talking about some of these teams of the Indians, the affiliations with the Reds, with the Expos of the past, and all that he has been through through 47 years of calling Indianapolis Indians games. Outstanding conversation. If you love baseball, and I mean you love the history of baseball, Howard Kelman a little bit earlier on a podcast at 1075thefan.com is the place for you. Also, coming up July the 11th, not too far from where I sit right now. I could probably see it if I walked on the other side here of the press box. But back nine, it's our golf outing. I'll tell you all about that. The benefit and why you have to have a pretty damn good excuse not to make that on a Tuesday, July the 11th. Our fan golf outing. Tell you all about that. Give you a chance to win coming up on the other side. Live at Victory Field. The state baseball finals officially underway. The first of four here at Victory Field on this Friday afternoon as we get ready to fade into the Friday evening going into a weekend at Victory Field with 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. 
Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. The Ride with JMV. If peeing your pants is cool, consider me Miles Davis. 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. All right, this is going to happen. I mentioned that the TCU Amphitheater is going to be busy tonight. It's like it is busy here at Victory Field. But coming up in August, Jethro Tull, the legendary Jethro Tull, will be there. And I've got a pair of tickets for you at 239-1070. Right now, number nine is going to go see Jethro Tull. Again, that's coming up in August at the TCU Amphitheater. Number nine at 239-1070. You are going to be a winner, and you're going to go. Covenant Christian trying to get a little uh, bottom of the first two-out rally going. But that is snuffed out with a bounding ball to short. Got a couple of zeros on the board in this first inning of play. They go to the top of the second inning. Eliana Christian back up. The defending champion in Class 2A taking on Covenant Christian. Again, Covenant Christian had a couple of runners on and two outs to no avail. No score in this first game of the baseball state finals. You know what? You can kind of catch me a little bit trying to throw in a little bit of baseball play-by-play going to the break. Now, it's nothing that John Herrick nor Greg Rakestraw have to worry about, but you can kind of catch me doing a little bit of that baseball play-by-play as they go to a break right here. Mitch brings up a great point. I mentioned Oscar Robertson. I'm going to go and visit him tomorrow, tomorrow morning, and uh, do a one-on-one with the – basketball legend, Hall of Famer, just a legend in general. And it's one of my bucket list things. I've never done that uh, with Oscar Robertson. And I'm going to get the opportunity to do that coming up tomorrow. And Mitch had mentioned this. He said, you know what, not using your term sports arousal along with the big O somehow to announce that interview seems like a missed opportunity. Yeah, that's probably a little bit odd. (laughs) Right? Just a little bit odd. But, nah, for me, for me, that's going to be an all-timer. I mean, Oscar Robertson would probably go, who is this clown sitting across from me? But for me, that is going to be an all-timer. He has never been on the show before. And to be able to do a uh, a sit-down one-on-one tomorrow with him is, uh, yeah, that's going to make, that's going to make the list of all-timers for me. Yeah, without question. Hey, by the way, too, Matt Taylor, the voice of the Colts, just texted me and said that there is no Goreman tonight. So no Goreman on the last word. Uh, it is Matt Taylor and Casey Vallier on the last word coming up this evening. And uh, that is underway. I-, I bail out of here, I think, at about 20 after 6. Paul Neidig is the commissioner of the IHSAA and the pride of North Posey High School in Posey County in southwestern Indiana. He's going to join me coming up here at the top of the hour. Last word with the voice of the Colts, Matt Taylor and Casey Vallier at 630. And then 
We'll get you back here for the remainder of this game call and then obviously the game that comes up after this one and that game in 3A. you got another situation where you have another opportunity for a school to repeat. Never have we seen four schools with an opportunity to all repeat. Thank you, brother. Like we do coming up later on, well, tonight and tomorrow as well. Eliana Christian, as I mentioned in this game, against Covenant Christian and Andrean. Andrean seems like that they kind of just camp out here every single year in June because they're playing for a state title. They're the defending champions in 3A, and that's your 3A matchup that you can hear right here later on tonight. And that is uh, underway at 8 o'clock for you this evening. Again, Andran and Silver Creek, 28-6-1 Andran and 25-7 and Silver Creek at 8 o'clock this evening. Uh, once again, tomorrow, too, it continues here at Victory Field. You've got Lafayette Central Catholic at 24-11, Bar Reeve at 29-3 in Class A. Penn, the defending champion. Oh, by the way, Lafayette Central Catholic, the defending champions in Class A, and Penn, the defending champions in 4A, that is 26 and 8. Penn and Center Grove is 29 and 3 going to work coming up tomorrow evening. Uh, yeah, it's pretty cool to sit out here. Honestly, I was telling James this a moment ago. I kind of want to sit here and just like watch baseball. <laughs> so, and uh, James, can they still see what's going on out there? On in the YouTube, YouTube stream? Yeah, yeah, they yeah. can, they can kind of see it. They can actually see what's going on. Yeah, I, I mean, I guess like I could just go ahead and punch up my phone right here. They can't really. I guess they can't really see the ball, but you can see the whole field and you can see all the players and you can kind of make out what's happening. Oh, so that's pretty cool right now. You can yeah. see that via YouTube Live if you're watching. Um, and what I did today is I decided not to show my incredibly chiseled and handsome features. Instead, kind of put the camera of the YouTube Live feed onto the field, and you can actually see um, what is going on out there right now so that's pretty cool right there and certainly if you're listening you can hear the uh the sound of the bat when it makes contact no doubt about that you know it's kind of funny who who by the way won the jethro tall tickets i had a bunch of people that tried to get in all week long and the lines were packed were you surprised james that so many people wanted to to get in on the Jethro Tall tickets like that? Uh, actually, I am. I did not expect Jethro Tall to uh, get that many people calling in about it. Did you really know who they were? Oh yeah. Before this week? Oh yeah. You I'm, did. I'm a okay. I'm a big Metallica fan, so I knew that they beat Metallica in the Grammys <laughs> in the '80s. <laughs> By the way, not only Metallica, but Jane's Addiction and AC/DC and in Iggy the Pop. category. And Iggy Pop. <laughs> <laughs> that is so good. I don't know if I can ever get over that. That is so good right there. <laughs> Jethro Tall. And as I mentioned a little bit earlier, too, we're right next door to the TCU Amphitheater. And I don't know when that show starts. That is Candlebox. And three doors down, that will be so loud that it's going to be the rest of this game. And then that. The game after featuring Silver Creek and Andran should be outstanding with that in mind. All right, quick break and we'll return. On the other side, Paul Neidig is going to join us, the commissioner of the IHSAA. I'm going to ask him to update us on everything. And here's the other thing, too. If you ever had any complaint whatsoever, go ahead and file that 
regarding the IHSAA at JMV1070 on Twitter right now. And I will ask Paul all about it. We got 20 minutes, a little extra time with Paul Knighting, the commissioner of the IHSAA, as we're live right downtown at Victory Field in what is a glorious early evening as we get into it. And Covenant Christian and Ileana Christian going at it in this 2A affair. No score as Ileana Christian bats with two outs and a runner on second in the top half of the second inning. We'll keep you updated. The commissioner of the IHSAA joins us coming up on the other side. Do not go anywhere. And remember, tomorrow night, the JMV takeover. Uh-oh, that's drilled the center right there. Going back, Catacorn. End of the inning. Check that. End of the uh, top half of the second inning right there. See, I can't do that. If I'm doing play-by-play baseball, I can't make major gaffes like that and be held accountable. I would be. Uh, tomorrow night, JMV takeover, B105.7, 6 until midnight. Once again, a ton of your favorite decade of the 1980s in all requests, which, by the way, last Saturday night broke records. I told some people, Todd Meyer included, I told some people that I took over 158 phone calls on Saturday night. <laughs> that is incredible. That is quite the number. Do it again tomorrow night, JMV Takeover, 6 until midnight. All requests Saturday night on B105.7. Paul Knighting, the commissioner of the IHSAA, going to join us next. A little bit of extra time live from Victory Field. It's 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. The Ride with JMV. Can I buy you guys a drink? Guess not. 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. All right, a little bit of extra time for you as we're live from Victory Field. Ileana Christian, the defending champions in two-way. Just uh, close out Covenant Christian in the bottom of the second inning. No score as we head to the third, top of the third here at Victory Field. Still to come tonight, Silver Creek and the defending champion, uh, and Duran, well, they have 59ers, I believe, right? Paul Neidig is the IHSAA commissioner who joins us now. A little extra time with the big fella right here. I mentioned this. This is absolutely fantastic. I kind of get caught up with just wanting to watch the game as opposed to talking during it. But what a great night. What a great venue. And you got a, you know, a couple of 2A teams well represented here. One defending champion, first-timer, defending champions in every class being here. Pretty cool weekend. It is. We're just uh, we're so blessed here in Indiana. First of all, the IHSA we get to play in some phenomenal facilities. Our students get to to Gamebridge Fieldhouse, to Lucas Oil, to to we were at Benninger Stadium in Purdue last week. Yeah, uh, with, with softball. softball. And here we are at Victory Field today, and there's not a finer minor league ballpark in the country than here. And so our kids get to finish their last game on an incredible facility here. So. Do you um do you ever judge what they do in in other states? what venues they play in high school-wise. And I'm not, not across the country, but certainly within, you know, our, our vicinity, Midwest, whether, you know, we're talking about Illinois, Ohio, Kentucky, yeah. Michigan, Wisconsin, what have you. Do you judge that? Yeah, we, I have those communications. Uh, they're my counterparts. I talk to them all a lot because, you know, we all do the same thing. There's only a few of us in the country that do this job. 
And, you know, but they often ask us, how do you get into the place like Gamebridge Fieldhouse? You play indoors at Lucas Oil, and, and they don't get to play in those places. I'll call my, right. my friend in Illinois every year, and they're getting ready to celebrate their football state championship the same weekend we are in Champaign, Illinois, outside when it's snowing. Right. You know, right. and our kids are showing up here and playing indoors. And, yeah, we play. There's not another state association in the country that plays in the quality facilities across the board that our kids get. Well, I mean, is there anybody else that has the the professional sports relationships that you guys have? No. That's, that seems amazing to no, me, too. It is. You know, our relationship with Pacer Sports Entertainment and the Fever and, and, and that team there and, our, again, to the Indians here, to uh, the Colts. I mean, they truly understand high school athletics and support kids because they know these kids are going to come back and be fans. Someday. Yeah. And yeah. so it's it's so important to them. And, and, and they never ask for anything from us. They always want to know what can we do to help promote high school athletics in the state of Indiana. So Paul Knighting, the commissioner of the IHSAA. This is the end of the sports calendar campaign here um, this weekend. As you look back on it, how did it go? Uh, phenomenal year. Uh, you know, we and I always I, I, one of these days I'm going to quit talking about COVID, but you know, we went through, we went through COVID and, and things were shut down, but we continued to play in the state of Indiana, and we didn't know if fans were going to come back. And then when we got back, they did. They showed up. We had huge crowds, and this year uh, they've even gotten larger. Uh, our boys basketball state champion the three and four a game in the evening we were standing room only right during that transition time softball we set a record last weekend track and field we set a record recently and so we've got fans that are just coming out supporting and i always say i know you and i are small town guys and and when those communities get to show up and watch the team that's got their high school's name on it or yeah. their town's name on yeah. it, that is still special in this state it and, is and and people still Come. They make a pilgrimage to Indianapolis or wherever we're playing, and and, and they're going to watch their team. You know, and it's still special here. What, what year did you graduate at North Posey? 1981. 1981. 81 yeah. was a good year. Now, how did you then, did you get, I'm assuming you got all your information from Evansville. You still got to see back then all the Channel 4 feeds of, of what was going on high school-wise yeah. and the coverage they had. Did yeah, you get we, to see it down there? We did. We had the feeds in Evansville, but, you know, uh, it was always the effort to, to go watch these two. Because right. Robert Stadium, I know, yeah. was a phenomenal place. And I can still remember walking into that stadium, and it was filled to the top. You got through the morning games, and you walked in the facility, and the Emsel Courier and Press had the paper there for yeah. you that talked about the game, and then you, should, you stayed there that night. But, yeah, we got uh, – Hilliard Yates was on the old television oh. in, in, in southern Indiana also at the time. Loved Hilliard Gates. Yeah. There's so many, so many great voices, so many great names. I mean, you think about Hilliard, um, you know, obviously Jerry Baker, Jerry Baker. You know, what he is, man. You think about uh, uh, Tom Carnegie as well, all these, these legendary voices. And yeah. uh, I love going back on YouTube Live and just kind of searching some of these older games and yeah. things that are on there as well. And, I mean, it, uh, it it stirs the echoes, but you think about it right now, and, you know, we got John Herrick on, we got Greg Rakestraw on as well doing stuff and, you know, making moments for an entirely new generation, and it just keeps on going and seemingly gets better and better. It does. It, you know, and again, it just – 
the you know what Reg does and John and and Mark Mark James mm-hmm. and those guys are just phenomenal. Again, they're fans first. Yeah. yeah. They're you know they're so knowledgeable of the game, so they bring it to the to the to our fans who are listening or watching on TV, and they make it real for them. And you know, Rake is just a a, a, a walking encyclopedia. Oh my gosh! Athletic, I'm telling you. Know, you. And you know, it, it is. It does. It keeps getting better. I mean, you look here today. People, there's a lot of things people we could do on a Friday night here, and especially this this Indianapolis area. But they're here. They're here to watch high school baseball. Now you live up here now, right? Well, I go both. I go back and forth. Okay. Uh, well, tell I, me a little bit about now. Where do you what do you call home when you home, go? Back? Home is still Evansville, Indiana. Okay. I, I live on the north side of town. Uh, you know, but I still get out to Poseyville where I grew no, up. Why not? You know, and uh, got a few things going on in that old town with my brother and trying to to get back a little bit. As but uh, you know, it's still home. And last weekend, I got to watch the North Posey Vikings win a state championship. Yeah. You know, softball. That's com- yep. softball. As commissioner, I've got to sit there and I've got to, <laughs> I got to sit on my hands and I and I, I have to cheer silently inside. Yeah. But the the first the, the head coach in North Posey, I grew up with. We were played high school basketball together. He was in my brother's class. His dad coached me for two years in high school. You know, and uh, it just it, one person after another, and it's just visiting the guy I picked up hay for. Uh, Wayne T. Wiggins was in the stands yep. watching the high school team play, and you know I got to talk to Wayne T. and and really it's it, when I when I see those folks again, it's just so important to, for me because it, it's such an uh, uh, such an important part of my life. Uh, to grow up in those communities, but then when I get to see the folks that, that allowed me to grow up in those communities. Isaac Vanderwood, who just got an off-the-wall one-hopper right in front of the 362 sign out to right center field, which was a stand-up double. That was an absolute rocket right there off of his bat. <laughs> I mean, that thing was a laser that had no hump in it whatsoever. I mean, had that thing had a hump in it, who knows what it might have happened. It might have given him air enough to get it out of here, but a one-hop on the warning track right in front of 362 on the wall. That is a knock right there, Kamish. That is. It is. Like you can tell this young man probably spent a few hours in the pen. <laughs> Maybe so. Swinging, swinging at some balls. Maybe so. All right. As we end the, the sports calendar year, what are some of the things as the commissioner, as Paul Nighting joins us, some of the things that you and everybody will have to take care of meetings-wise? I know there, there are some situations in, in class athletics that are coming up, decision-making wise what are we looking forward to here well we, we we're going to leave here this weekend when we're done and we're actually going to go spend a couple days with our board of directors mm-hmm. and you know during the school year when they're busy with their school there's just not a lot of time to talk in depth about topics and and so we're going to spend two days talking about high school athletics yeah. and we're going to take the time to talk about an education-based system and you know uh, we spend a lot of time talking about keeping education in front of athletics and you know we we see what's going on in the ncaa now and certainly they've got their thing and and we certainly support what they do but it doesn't work for us and so we're going to spend time talking about that and yeah a big vote next week we're going to talk about the class system and how we divide our schools up We've been in a four-class system since 1997. Right. But schools have changed. What's the criteria? I mean, what's the criteria surrounding what you guys are going to vote on? Well, currently we divide our, let's say, let's just, boys basketball is the first focus for most. Yeah. And we we take the number of teams in the state of Indiana playing that sport, and we divide it equally. That's where we're at right now. Well, the, the proposal that's before them is to kind of skew that a little bit. So we would set, let's say, 1,400 would be the bottom of 4A. 
Yeah. And so 1,400 up to Carmel, which is just over 5,000, would be 4A, which is still a huge gap. Yeah. Which means then there were some teams that are in the bottom of 4A would come to 3, and, and that would go all the way down the map. But the other thing that's happened is schools that are traditionally 1A schools with the onset of charter schools and small private schools have pushed traditional 1A schools up into 2A. Right. And so we're also trying to address that a little bit, too. And, and schools haven't grown in enrollment, but yet they're becoming a, a class higher than they were before. And it's a tough decision. Every school looks at it from their lens and who's going to be in their sectional. And, yeah. And, you know, and, and it is important. But at the end of the day, I remind them all the time, we have to remember, after the first round of the tournament, no matter how many different levels we have, half the teams are going home with a loss. And yeah. we're going to play it out from there. And what right. we do, the most important thing happens every day in the gym with a coach after school. Is um, Paul Nightings, the commissioner of the IHSAA, is it across the board now? Because, you know, we're so far down the line, I rarely, if ever, bring it back up. But do we have as close to complete satisfaction with the class system in athletics and especially basketball here as, as we've seen it? Or there's still some kicking and screaming regarding that? It, there'll always be that, you know, yeah. and I'm okay with that because that just tells me people still care about the product yeah. that we have. If they didn't care anymore, they wouldn't talk about it. And there's nothing wrong with remember when or can we do it this way. You know, we didn't. if we would have stayed the same, we wouldn't have made the change between the semi-state and the regional this year. Right. Where we went from a two-game regional to a two-game semi-state. We saw our crowds unbelievable as they followed their team to the tournament a little further. What, what, was the, what was the thought process behind that, too? You know, I just thought, I thought that sectional week is a tough week. It's a three-game week. It's tough, you know. Then we wanted to give our teams a chance to get prepared for one game. So you get through that three-game sectional week, you got to get ready for one. Yeah. You know, and then the challenge, you ought to have to bring it the weekend before you get to go play in a state championship. Right. And so we just thought we're going to get them a chance to get, get their breath, get their legs under them, one game, and then you better be ready because you're going to have to play two to go play in the state final. Well, and and I, was, I remember talking to Greg Rakestraw about that. And uh, was that kicking and screaming? Honestly, it really wasn't. Uh, I think we had support for the most part. And, and, and evaluation after we've done that, very little consternation from our membership or from people. I, from my perspective, uh, and sometimes I'm like that. I'm the last one to know. But it's. Yeah. The, I think the fans enjoyed it. So Paul Nidig again. He's the commissioner of the IHSAA. Most commonly asked question that you get regarding sports in general that you oversee right here? Uh, you know, today it's, uh, are you going to permit NIL for these kids? Uh, that's one that we get quite a bit. Right. Uh, you know, and I think once you explain our position to it, we got kids that haven't earned a degree in life yet. And when we take anything that takes the focus away from a high school diploma and puts – and I, and I love these kids, but they're still maturing. They're not prepared to deal with all the things that go along with things like NIL. And so we get those questions a lot. A lot of questions we get is, you know, how come my team has to go play this team? Or, right. You know, it's and it's it's individuals from local communities. Um, and I get it. Again, it's just passion asking a question, and we'll take those every day in our office. Yeah, I um, I did not even know that NIL at the high school level was much of a question. Is that more significant than I ever thought? It's it's becoming that way. Uh, and you know, and uh, but I will tell you, the I get a lot of calls in my office on NIL, and it's not from student athletes or their parents. It's from adults wanting to make some money off of these these. Oh, that's what it is. That's what it is. You know, and it's it's agents, it's people that are in that middle part of that thing that that are going to make some money if they can 
get this into this right. part of it. And that's just not what we do. That's incredible right there. I, I guess it would stand to reason because you get trickled down in everything yeah. in athletics. So that's just not something that I, I had uh, had th- cer- certainly thought about in this case. Um, all right. So board of directors meeting coming up. Besides what we've talked about so far, what else is on that agenda? Uh, you know, the other thing that's on that agenda, we have some new member schools that we're going to be considered that have made application that start the process. Uh, we're also going to look at the success factor that we have. And, you know, that's certainly um, – some folks like that, but, you know, if you have a certain amount of success within a yeah. tournament, then you move up. Um, and so we're looking at a different proposal with that uh, that a member schools can make. And the cool thing about all that is any member school of ours, 407 of them, can make a bylaw proposal that's considered by our board. And that's what we're going to be looking at with those. Uh, there's a, an interesting, and I, I don't think you guys got involved with it at all, and, and it's probably not even your domain. I'm not sure that's why I ask you, though. But mm-hmm. the whole Carmel Center Grove thing. Yeah. Um, what what was your stance on that? And again, I want to refresh everybody's memory that's listening right now. Uh, there was some stuff that kind of led to Carmel. You know, Center Grove and Carmel were, were you know, outside of a, a conference, and some things led up to Carmel, you know, basically dropping Center Grove from their sports calendar schedule, which, you know, I look at it like this, and if there are two teams in this state that need to be playing in absolutely everything, it would be, those two schools where were you guys when this was going down your thoughts did you get involved whatsoever yeah i do have some ability to first of all it's it's a contractual relationship just like any other contract a business would have or we have for jobs or anything else so there's a contract to play between center grove and carmel and there's terms of those contracts and they've agreed to follow those terms and so that that's outside of of me now i do have some authority to step in in certain certain special circumstances but i didn't my wish is like everybody else's those two teams need to be playing each other that's been my stance all the time i've told both schools that from the beginning Uh, but in the end of the day if they follow the terms of the contract and decide not to play regular season there's not i don't have a lot of authority there to force the play you know but what, what was your opinion on all that though what you was know, your thought i just i i really thought those two I, and i told both schools this i felt that uh, as two leading schools athletically with significant success across this state i was i told them that i wanted them to get in the room and, and i actually sat with them and said we we surely can figure this out you know, and that was my stance. It's been my stance from the beginning. It's been my, it's still my stance today. And I still think if, if they would sit down with each other, uh, they could figure this out along the way. But if they can't, they'll follow the terms of the contract. And, and hopefully in the future, they'll be able to, to work this out. But, um, you know, again, I, my belief is they need to play each other just like yours. Is that, um, is that a common Occurrence? Is it a, a becoming more of a common occurrence, you know, a situation it, like that? It's becoming more when we have conference realignment. Yeah. And this year we had conference realignment. But sometimes conference has agreements that govern how conferences are broken up. Right. And they mention those things. But, again, those are handled outside of us. But, yeah, it is. It, we've had more conference movement this year across the state uh, than I've seen in my time around here. And hopefully it will settle now next year once we've had all this movement. Um, but how, how much? How many teams would you estimate were on the move as far as conference? I, I think Changing I know, affiliation. Yeah, I know of at least nine conferences that had moves this year now, across the state. Th- they could just do that without – 
Yep, that's not us. That's yeah. an agreement that they have with the schools in their area. And, and, and it's happened for years. I mean, the old uh, Southern Indiana Athletic Conference had uh-huh. 12 teams with Terre Haute and right. both in them. And, and, and there's always schools evolve. They come and, and, and travel's different. And the way the community looks is different. And so they do realign over time. Well, then I think you used to have some teams or some schools were in two different conferences then, right? There, there, were, some that, there were some that had a football conference. Right. And then they may have a conference for everything else. Uh, Tecumseh years ago down south had a, had a conference they played in for football, right. but then everything else they played was a different conference. So Paul Neidig, who is the commissioner of the IHSAA, who joins us in the final couple of minutes we have, the one thing that I gather, actually, I hear the music right here, but just really quickly, Paul, the growth of what we see out here in baseball right now and that of football. We know we love basketball, but the growth of these other, other sports in this last 20 seconds or so has been amazing. It has. We've, we've seen, and across the board, we have national ranked swimmers, nationally ranked volleyball players. We have kids that are being recruited at a high level across this country in, in multiple sports. Yeah. And again, that's just a tribute to our coaches and our schools in the state of Indiana. And that's why I don't want to screw this up along the way. That's Paul Nidig, the commissioner of the IHSAA. Thanks for hanging with me, Thank man. You. Appreciate that. Thanks for inviting us out too. Covenant Christian, Ileana Christian, joined in progress following the last word. That's Matt Taylor and Casey Vallier coming up here at the bottom of the hour. My thanks to everybody that had us here. James, I am off Monday and Tuesday. I am on tomorrow night during the JMV takeover on B1057, 6 until midnight. Have a great weekend. Keep it locked at 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. The last words coming up next.